This week on Invasion, the podcast, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Is it a transcendent masterpiece or is it a four hour long anti-life equation? We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of the of tension. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, where we try to take over the world one listener at a time. Uh, my name is Paul, and uh, somewhere out brooding in the distance is Steve. Hey, everybody. I'm just in Illyria looking for the anti-life equation. I think I found it. <laughs> is, is it somewhere in the middle of Ohio? I'm going to guess, right? But, <laughs> it's right. somewhere within the four hours of watching a movie. <laughs> and uh, and we have a special guest because if it's, if it's a team-up film, you got to have a team. And we have uh, Nathaniel from At the Devil's Ball on the show. Thank you, Nathaniel, for coming on. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, after I after I rudely invited myself uh, when you guys did uh, at the Devil's Ball just a couple weeks ago. Hey, that's so. the best way, right? Like you catch people flat footed while you're recording, and you're like, "Let's right, get right. into this." Like, yeah. I want in on that. Yeah, that was <laughs> that's kinda, my shot. That's kind of how I um like I got your co-host and I strong harmed him into us coming on to talk about Maximum Overdrive, right? So that's, that's true. It's you know he's like, "Hey, you want to talk about Sleepwalkers?" I'm like, "No," but I will. Can we talk about it. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll find a way to weasel our way back onto your show. Yeah. So. Oh no, anytime, uh, any anytime uh, you guys want to be on that on uh, on at the Devil's Ball, we well we love having you. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So uh, with this episode, it's going to be a little different. Uh, normally we're well, we're breaking format, um, so everybody just you know be terrified. Uh, no news, um, no game. I mean, we all have game, but that's different. Uh, and also because we're going to be talking about Zack Snyder's Justice League, which. I believe started playing three years ago and it's still actively playing right now somewhere. Uh, and it's only into the second half. Now, other thing here, here's a big, big thing for this episode. And I, I spoiled this with Steve uh, earlier cause I was wanted to get to it. Normally we have like a no R rated like language for this show. Cause we want to avoid the explicit tag, but if Batman can say fuck, we can say fuck. <laughs> so yes, yeah. Um, so this episode is going to be, uh, you know, unfiltered uh, because that's the way Zack Snyder would want it. We, we want this uncorrupted vision of this discussion about his movie. So there we go. Uh, the, normally I'd bleep all that out, but the bleep button's going to fall off if, um, from some of the opinions I have about this thing. It's actually it's kind of too bad we can't also do a video because then we could make sure it was at the exact uh, aspect ratio. <laughs> uh the way Zack Snyder wanted it you know uh <laughs> I, I, I kind of burst out laughing when I, when uh, right off the top they're like uh they have a the HBO Max put up the the little thing that said like this movie is being broadcast in in uh this aspect ratio to preserve Zack Snyder's vision and I'm like really his vision yeah where where do we fall on that cuz I'm curious like what was your guys' experience watching it uh in I, the uh the format that it's presented It made me feel like it was made for the original like Apple um like the iPods that had like the square screens you're like oh I could watch this on an iPod cool you know it just felt weird it just felt like it was made it was ju- Zack Snyder's made for old TV uh, aspect ratio justice league 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, it, for me, uh, it, with anything like that uh, aspect ratio, I get used to it pretty quickly. I, uh, I mean, as somebody who does two podcasts and watches way too many movies as it is, I, I tend to just kind of roll with it. And uh, initially, I was like, really, this is going to get annoying. But then I, I just kind of got used to it and was like, all right, whatever. I'm just watching the watching the movie. So, well, which which film was it that um that was it the Dark Knight um that because they shot portions of it in IMAX. And other portions they didn't. The actual aspect ratio would change during the course of the movie, and I never, I never noticed it because you're involved in the story, right? Yeah. Like, and with this, it's so. like if he shot this for IMAX, then that's okay. Like you could have shifted it. I think people would have been fine with it. Yeah, it is the Dark Knight that you're thinking of. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I didn't mind it watching it. I, uh, at first it was a little jarring, but I, I feel like maybe once I got past the first fifteen minutes, I just got used to it so well then also i think we all have relatively big tvs now and you know 2021 right because if this would have been like you know like back in the day tvs that we knew that would have been really annoying i think you know but i didn't really notice a difference for myself watching it um yeah have, heaven forbid anybody that uses the zoom button to try to watch this like that would have been that would have been terrible um but the thing uh, before we get into the movie itself i want to ask you a question specific because i see you're on social media i see that you uh, are a big DC fan. And I know Steve, we, he and I talked a lot. I mean, that's half of our show is DC, the other half is Spider-Man. And then somehow we fit a third half in there about fair foods. That's our podcast. Um, <laughs> but you, you, you're really passionate about DC. So are you more of a DC guy than a Marvel guy? Like what's, what's your, what's your DC baggage, like your fandom baggage coming into something like this. And like, you know, not, I mean, not baggage isn't the right word, but I mean, you've been a fan. You have expectations. Yes. You like things. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, uh, well, actually, I, I'm more of a Marvel guy, actually, um, in, in terms of uh, I grew up on comic books. I, uh, I I learned to read on comics. My parents would get me comics when I was, like, four. And I would uh, start – I started very, very early on, like, sounding – trying to sound out words because I wanted to know what the superheroes were saying. Um, and so um, – but I, I grew up predominantly on Marvel uh, that said, I'm a pretty, I'm a really big Justice League fan. Even though my favorite Justice League stuff doesn't have Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman in it, it was the uh, Keith Giffen, uh, J.M. DeMatteis uh, uh, Justice League International stuff that I really liked. That's uh, that was my favorite. Um, but at the, I find the older I get, I mean, my favorite superhero of all time is Captain America. Mm -hmm. um, but I do find the older I get, the more Superman tends to mean to me for whatever reason. I, I haven't quite figured out why because um, I didn't like him when I was younger. But now for some reason, Superman's a big deal. So I guess my DC baggage uh, in particular was is the treatment of Superman so far in the DCEU has left me cranky and irritable. Um, in the, and so is he. So um, – uh, so for me, I'm like, I, I just like, when is Superman going to actually smile? Uh, is he going to smile? And uh, is he going to be nice? Is he going to be friendly? And Zack Snyder is just sort of like, no, never. Like, he's just going to be a, a morose, uh, a mopey teenager. Um, and I'm like, okay, 
you know. So I, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, it does. But. It does because I know, like, like uh, Steve's going to tell you that he loves Mopey uh, Super Down or Superman right now. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I, I was going to say because I know Steve, you said one of your more frustrating things that you've had. Uh, going from Man of Steel to uh, Donna Justice, which you and I watched in December because that was the first time you'd seen that. And we ended up watching the director's cut of that for that show. Um, I, you know, there's a lot of things we're going to get into, but I, I think you're, you have been frustrated at the representation of Superman so far in these movies. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty much um, uh, right in line with Nathaniel, uh, everything that he actually said. Uh, and for those of you at home who are, uh, comic book readers and you haven't checked out the uh, booster gold um, blue beetle era of uh, JLA. I didn't yeah. read it at the time it was coming out. So, oddly enough, I discovered it afterwards because I, I saw it and I'm like, I don't want this. This doesn't have Batman and Superman in it. And it wasn't until much later that I, I discovered what a, a, a joy those books are. Oh, They're they are, great yeah. reads. They're so much fun. And you get to, uh, um, Batman punching Green Lantern in the face. Uh, it's amazing. So Guy, Gard- Guy Gardner, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the Guy Gardner Green Lantern. The the, the, the famous one punch scene. Uh, uh, it's a yeah, it's it's some great stuff. Um, yeah, I, I think it's also one of the first comics that I read that I realized like, wow, this comics can be really funny. Like, yes. uh, it, it was just so something. Are that you I saying wasn't... are you saying Zack Snyder never read a comic book? Then is that what you're saying? <laughs> Aside from 300, that if he did, he took away the wrong message. And I, I uh, do find uh, yeah. that interesting about adaptations of Superman, or at least some of the people who've been brought on to uh, Superman. Like sometimes people just graft onto the alien part, and they kind of miss a lot of the things that make Superman Superman. And I, that's kind of my feeling, uh, at least in regards to Zack Snyder, is is that. He he's more interested in like oh what would be real what would this alien who's on Earth like how would he feel and I I feel personally that a lot of that gets uh what's the word I'm looking for it, it pushes all the other things that make Superman Superman aside for that yeah. one idea and it, it's a misrepresentation I guess uh, overall um, yeah. So. And what's what's weird about that too is that these movies uh, outright mention that he's more than that. Like the the it's it's in the film. Like characters are literally saying like Superman's more than just an alien. He's a person. Uh, but then the representation of the character doesn't convey that whatsoever. It's a very very bizarre um, thing. But I think that you're right on that. Uh, the idea that I said that uh, as well to uh, Sam, Sammy, my uh, my co-host on At the Devil's Ball. We we were talking on social media about. Um, I was exact that I kind of joked. Zack Snyder's uh, Zack Snyder's never read a comic book. He looked at the pictures, <laughs> and um, and uh, which was more of a slam on Watchmen, which is the uh, uh, I've never seen a comic book adaptation miss the point. Uh, I, 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 to the point where I was like, is he doing this on purpose? Like, did he just say like, screw this book? Uh, but he made everything look exactly like the comic, but somehow didn't understand a word of the comic. And, uh, so cause you know, Watchmen is a, it was written by Alan Moore to be an anti-fascist, um, uh, allegory and, a, a deconstruction of the, sort of inherent uh fascism of super people and and uh costumed heroes 
And Zack Snyder says, nope, nope, it's a pro-fascist movie now. <laughs> Rorschach is Rorschach is the coolest guy in the world. And I'm like, Rorschach's supposed to be, like, scary. We're not supposed to identify with Rorschach. Like, he's he, he runs around breaking people's hands. He's a jerk. And they're like, nope, nope, well, he's the coolest. He's doing martial arts now. He's going to do a backflip. Watch Rorschach do a backflip. But I'm like, Rorschach can't do a backflip. Well, let's get, let's a, get fat Batman in here. Let's make him look, let's like feel bad for him. No. Um. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, so I mean, yeah, I, I think I'm right there with you that like Snyder, for whatever reason, gravitates, I think, to the wrong idea every single time when it comes to these adaptations. He, he picks the thing that seems to be the least important and makes it the most important. And and so therefore, I think that he really does just miss the point of of these characters. Uh, this movie, I, I do feel in Justice League itself, there's uh, and it's actually interesting that uh, I was thinking about this last night that it was actually a lot more hopeful than the previous films. It was a lot more. Uh, uh, it was it was less heavy, I think, than the previous two films. To the point that I wonder if if something has changed for him. And I, I feel weird saying it, but I'm almost wondering if. Uh, if maybe the reason why he didn't what the reason why his film was never completed in the first place was of course he tragically lost his daughter yeah um and uh, to the point where i wonder if that changed his outlook a little bit and he made the film a little bit more superhero-y um versus man of steel and batman versus superman which were both like kind of really grim uh you know uh moby films you know, well, I mean, and this movie actually had more like, you know, like, you know, Flash gets his big everybody gets their big moment yeah. of heroism in this film. Um, so it's it's weird. It's weird. It's interesting to me that uh, that somehow something something snaps into place in the last 40 years of this movie um, <laughs> that, uh, you know, uh, like I said, and I've said this on I said this on social media that the movie ultimately um, it's two hours of, of boring slog and then actually has like a good solid hour and a half at the end where, uh, things really coalesce quite well that I'm like, Oh, okay. Something's changed, uh, in, in the past few years that I think he's doing something that, uh, is a little bit more in line with the source material. Maybe. But. I mean, I, and I, I, I will, I will argue with you about that a little bit at the end there. I just, I mean, especially when you talk about a movie being a little bit more hopeful, but, it, but he literally, his opening is Superman scream dying yes. for, for a good 15 to 20 minutes. And his, <laughs> his scream, um, it's like, Steve, what would you call him? Like, like, like rings of smoke. Like someone like Superman was vaping across the world. <laughs> <laughs> and all the rings were striking everywhere, and everyone's like, "Oh man, did you hear that? Yeah. Oh, well, that's bad." <laughs> like, that's how <laughs> well, I, I understand, you know, the need to pick up directly from where the last film built uh, ended, and I don't, I don't remember if the 2017 movie does or not. It I does not. Think it begins. Do, okay. Do you, do you um, want me to tell you how it begins to jog your memory? Mm-hmm. Um, so the Whedon, the Whedon cut begins with a um, uh, weird upper lip Superman being uh, filmed by kids right. holding like a smartphone. It's like, it's like we're doing a podcast. It's like your voices are way too like young to doing podcasts. Also, because you're in this movie, your podcast is more popular than mine. Shut up, kids. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, but they're interviewing Superman about like what's it like to be Superman. And he actually talks to them for a second. And he mentions the S is like a winding river and it means hope. And they said, well, what gives you hope? And he looks off in the distance and smiles and then yes. flies away. And it's like, oh yeah, that guy. 
And then we end up getting yeah. a um, an actual montage to the song Everybody Knows, where it shows the, yeah. the world after Superman, which um, I'm going to say this, I think sets up the table a lot more effectively in the first like hour and a half of this film. Like it actually does a pretty good job of kind of letting you know where everything is. You already see Lois already like, you know, doing her thing. Uh, Ma Kent's house is already foreclosed on. Like it gives you yeah. like a good like glimpse of the world without Superman. This one is, oh, he's screaming and dying. Oh, like, oh no. And those boxes are angry about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I understand the point of trying to use that as a device, uh, particularly going into the, the, the way the story is constructed with the three boxes and being like, this is sort of the signal that right. uh, activates the boxes. Uh, so I, I don't mind that so much, but you are right. I, I, I'd forgotten about that scene. I think it's mostly notable because the only time that scene ever shows up uh, from the, the theatrical um, cut, it's people like pointing out like, Hey, look, it's a badly done digital mouth um, or yes. upper lip. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I want to go back to something that Nathaniel said real quick about Zack Snyder. And it's actually something from my notes. Um, I don't know if Zack Snyder can, is perfect for a DC movie, but he would be perfect for an image comic movie. And oh, I, I'm saying mm -hmm. that with somebody who has gone back to the nineties image comics that were coming out and sort of, fallen in love with them again but i i i know they're not well written but they're all about the image do you yes. think do you think even rob liefeld would just like then make the movie that break the world in half because i think that's like <laughs> they're like can we yeah, get can we get a bunch of slow motion pouches can we do this please yeah yeah he'd be perfect for a young blood movie or you know a spawn movie or a savage dragon movie like those are uh, things i think that he oh go ahead I was gonna say I don't know about Savage Dragon. Savage Dragon. <laughs> Savage Dragon needs uh, it needs a lot of humor. Um, but I think but I think you're right. Absolutely, Image comic stuff, uh, the Valiant comic stuff. You know, the '90s were all about sort of that grim and gritty style. That I actually agree with you. I've also thought this many times that uh, I I would really would be interested to see what Zack Snyder could come up with with his own superheroes. Like just make up your own. Um, he could, I think he could do that well. It would just be, uh, it would just be seven and, different versions of Batman. That's all it would be. We know that. Just be seven different versions of Batman just being upset about something. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. But I think that would be an interesting idea to see him do something that's either not based in a, you know, already established world with 80 years of continuity or, um, yeah. you know, even something as, you know, simple as adapting something. I shouldn't say simple, but something that's a little bit more in key to the uh, the tone of things that as he likes it, as opposed to shifting what he wants to bring to it. And um, in preparation for this as well, I, I uh, watched the recent episode of uh, Fat Man uh, Beyond, which is the Kevin Smith, Mark Bernardin uh, hosted show. Um, and, and, you know, Kevin Smith, God bless him. You know, it, it, all it takes is like, the smallest thing to make him cry or gush about something. And I, clearly he loves this. But one of the things that he did mention was, is that like, this is Zack Snyder, you know, that's what you're getting. Like, this is his interpretation. He's like, it's not my interpretation. It's not the, the comics interpretation. He's like, but I have to make, you know, I enjoy the fact that it's Zack Snyder's is, is what he said. And I, that I do have, like I applaud that philosophy, but I also have trouble with that philosophy, <laughs> which is where I think some of the disconnect comes for me with this film. Um, but uh, yeah, at the end of the day, like, and I know 
when the theatrical was released and for years after we made a joke that this thing was never going to happen, clearly we're eating crow because it's it's out there now and you know it is it, it it's it's apparently according to the internet the greatest thing that's ever happened. So, I'll leave it there. <laughs> well, I I would say I would say I'm not eating crow because this is actually uh something that um uh, has been irritating me actually lately on social media too is that uh, is that people keep calling this the Snyder cut now that harkens back to the the you know the hashtag movement of release the Snyder cut but all of that was predicated around the idea that Warner Brothers was deliberately withholding some sort of finished product that Zack Snyder had put together he had not finished his film when he left uh, that's why Whedon was brought in Whedon finished finished everything up. Um, so the whole time they're saying, release the Snyder Cut, release the Snyder Cut, and like there is no Snyder Cut, and there never was. Um, what happens now is that they, is that DC Comics, uh, Warner Brothers rather, gave him $70 million to reopen production and complete the film with reshoots and, and do all of the uh, finishing up of the uh, special effects. So I'm kind of like... I, Please stop calling it the Snyder Cut because there never was a Snyder Cut. Um, and it, so, but and we talked a little bit before we started recording about like uh, the fandom surrounding Zack Snyder and uh, how, let's face it, a great deal of them—not all of them. Um, uh, if my friend Gerald is listening, uh, yeah, I don't lump you in with these guys, but he's a huge Snyder fan, but he's not a Snyder fan, like the way this the the cult behaves. Um, yeah, I'm gonna get docs now. One of, no, you get docs. No, like well, one of, one of my friends was like, you know, like like hashtag thank you Snyder hashtag. It's just like like and then uh, what was it? I remember I posted something about like oh I took four days off. I should be able to get through this movie, you know the the Justice League. And then um and then I made the comment. Someone's like it's like um what was it um it's almost something completely different. I was like yeah a four day weekend versus a two day weekend. I skipped over their joke. <laughs> um, but it's like I it's. Okay, it's not a completely different movie, and, and maybe you guys have different opinions. Uh, the skeleton's still there. It's just that yeah. there was a it, this thing was larded up in a lot of areas, and and improved in a lot of areas too. Like like I'm going to come out like guns blazing with some stuff that just really pisses me off about this, but I will give credit where credit is due. There's things in here that I liked, but okay, Steve, I'll put this to you. Like everyone's like it's like a completely different movie. It after I mean I know you didn't watch the theatrical cut preparing for this because you know you have a life and care about yourself, um, but. Did you come away from this like thinking, man, that completely enlightens my view of them trying to find three things to keep from touching each other? No, I actually didn't think that the film was drastically different uh, from the theatrical. I mean, I guess drastically is is a, 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 a what's the word I'm looking for here? A, a, uh, like, I was yeah, never mind. But long story short, like, uh, I was expecting almost like in a different say, third act from the way they kept talking about this thing that somehow it was always implied that everything that Whedon did to this was like this abomination and that there's an entirely different movie here. And that's not the case. And that, well, that's my opinion, Steve. I cut you off. I apologize. No, no, I got stuck in my own brain. So, uh, what I was <laughs> trying to me, say is, do you need is the that, speed like, force for me to be blasted into your brain and pull apart a little bit? <laughs> yeah. So yes, it's, it's the same story in a lot of ways. We're just given two hours more of it from a different point of view is, is kind of the way I look at it. So while I, I hesitated to use the word drastically, like 
a two-hour movie and a four-hour movie are going to be drastically different because there's just that much more material in the film. Yeah. But I, I, I think overall, yes, the bones, the skeleton of what the premise is is pretty much the same because you have Batman putting the team together, you have them uh, bringing Superman back to life, and you have them getting to the end battle. Like, all that stuff pretty much fits the same bones. They just go about it in different ways. Yeah, and and so, Nathaniel, I know, like, I, in terms of you said each hero got their moments, um, let me put it to you. Like, I know we're kind of, we're going to go out of order because this is what I'm doing now. Everybody just deal with it. Um, the Flash had a much bigger entrance in the Snyder Cut than he did in the Whedon version. Yeah. Um, which, you know, whatever. I mean, um, but I still think we got, like, well, we'll talk about the the neurosis stuff in a bit and how they changed some of that in like the whatever is it when they're under like under the the one was it Riker, Strikers Island that's not right uh, whatever it is um, the where the Aqueduct is or whatever it is that they were fighting yeah Gotham right? Gotham Harbor yeah yeah that's it, yeah, yeah I was going to call yeah. it Rikers Island I'm like no that's a real place uh, anyway um, so his his motivation there is a little different but in terms of introducing the character we get a bit of him where he ends up going out to stop, like, save uh, Iris West. It's a big slow-motion bit where he shows just as much caring for her as he does a hot dog, by the way, just throwing that out there. Um, but that whole sequence is not in the original movie, but we get, we still get his essence, though. I don't know, like, it was cool to see it. I just, like, we're, like, in terms of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask the, both of you this, um, one of the things I'm having difficulty with this four-hour version, this movie versus the like the the two-hour cut is is that um, this almost feels like a script edit, right? Like the the four-hour version was like near to final shooting. They brought in a script editor and was like, "Hey, can you get this down to two hours?" He's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna make some, I'm gonna truncate some stuff and squeeze some things together." And I'm not saying that was perfect, but I think like I'll I'll say this about Whedon. I think the guy understands the efficiency of storytelling. I still think he got a lot of the flash across. The, but they did give him more in this movie. So did we need that additional sequence of him at the beginning? No. Okay, perfect. <laughs> On to the next thing. All. Steve, answer the question. <laughs> no, and actually I haven't heard right. about that scene. No. I just want to... I hated it. We're, I hated we're, it. Like, yeah. Move it on. Uh, what, was that old, what was that old skill that he had at Carvey where he would do like the make fun of uh, that one political roundtable show where he's like, next subject. Like he would just ask like for one day, <laughs> like the McNeil-Lara group or whatever it was. Yeah, like anyway. But yeah, sorry, continue. Like I just, it was neat, but it's like, I almost wish that would have been a trailer for the movie versus in the movie, you know? Like... That could have been a nice little like teaser, like like Spider Man saving uh, the people at the World Trade Center. I mean, the poorly placed later on, we now know, but that was its own little mini movie. What couldn't we have had like superhero specific trailers teasing the Justice League and people would have lost their goddamn minds over it? So it's it's not hidden in the film at all. It's actually in both films that uh, Barry is sort of the comedic uh, voice in this film. Like there aren't a lot of funny moments. Uh, with other characters that don't involve Barry. Like, there's a uh, a cute scene between um, Gal Gadot and Jeremy Irons or Alfred in, in Wonder Woman yeah. about tea that I think is delightful. Yeah, I mean, if Austin really, used to tell you how to make tea, you, you fucking listen to him tell you how to make tea. I'm just, anyway. Right, yeah. right, but, like, the movie itself is not doesn't have a, an overabundance of humor in it, and Barry is one of the few characters that we get to have that in. But what annoyed me about the the scene of him saving Iris is that... We have this comedic setup where he's talking about his his resume and, and having worked with dogs. 
we see the accident happen outside and it switches to this slow somber music and i'm like yeah why couldn't this have been something fun and poppy to fit the tone of the scene and who the character is? I'm guessing that all those music cues were stolen already by Suicide Squad and they couldn't use them. But, you know, it just it, it bothered me. I'm like, why is this so up its own ass that, you know, it's suddenly got to have this this dramatic music while he's rescuing her and a hot dog, as so, Paul so wait, pointed out. Wait, so yeah. what you're saying is that the, the, the world's fastest man deserves like an upbeat song to show him doing his thing. Well, I, it, it, it yeah, could have still been heroic, yeah. but funny at the same time, or at least felt a more attuned to his uh, character. And it just, it felt like, Oh, well, we've got to have a slow motion songs or scene. So let's find some somber music to go with it. it I, there wasn't anything really that pissed me off in the movie, but that was one of the things where I was just like, why, like, why, why are you ruining what could be a fun scene with this song? Well, the, and, it wasn't, yeah. and it wasn't the only time he did that. Yeah, uh, right. in this film uh, I, I was going to say at some point I'm sure it was it was bound to come up the, the irritating musical cues in this movie like Aquaman uh, uh, the scene where he goes out into the a really cool looking shot of him going out in the water yeah, he, rising he, he, up was, over he's him. drinking the whiskey bottle he slams it down and I think, yeah. it's, I think it's a Lou Reed song because of course it's Zack Snyder right, right. Um, and it's like in the, the Whedon version Steve to remind you it's it's uh, it's a white stripe song that plays. It's Icky Thump, and that thing that that song just kicks right. It's awesome, and it's like, and that song gets the emotional like you get what you, you're getting Arthur Curry with him being this like hard charging. I saved this dude, but you know I'm done now. I'm going in the water, but now it's like no 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 no. There's beauty in Jason Momoa slamming a bottle down. Let's all embrace it. Yeah. Well, while we're on the subject of Aquaman and music, what is with the singing uh, when he leaves yeah. during the film? Like, I honestly wanted Ben Affleck to be like, what, "What's happening? Why are what's you happening right now?" I, yeah. uh, oh, when I watched it, I was I put in my notes. I was like, "Oh, Zack Snyder upset that Midsummer exists now, so he has to put his own little bit in here where you have weird northern people just singing something on the way out that confuses like, for like thirty minutes. Yeah. It just keeps going. It just keeps going. I'm like, okay, cut, cut." Cut. No, we're still doing this, huh? She's still gonna. She's gonna smell his sweater now. Okay. I, I just want to believe <laughs> like, that Ben Affleck was scared for his life, and he just didn't say anything during the filming because he's like, I don't know, and I want Snyder to be like, I, I didn't tell them to do this. Like that would have been. <laughs> no, but we did. Like so. So to speak to that real quick, I know we're kind of back. Like we're moving backwards a little bit. Whatever. It's fine. You know, it's it's Snyder. We can just have flashbacks. It's fine. Um, yeah. The whole sequence of uh, Batman finding. Aquaman and you know and you know the the most northern Long John Silvers ever or wherever they're at. Um, <laughs> if, Steve, if you ever do go back to watch the the theatrical cut, I, mm -hmm. I do also want to point out um, that it is amazing to me um, how because Whedon was brought in to like you know add more humor, like kind of truncate some of the stuff. Some of the shots that he had to recreate for inserts with the actors to get some jokes in there is crazy to me because that whole bit in the yeah. Whedon version, uh, that's when Affleck goes up to Momoa. He's like, I heard you could talk to fish. Like they're wearing the same outfits. It's the same location. Well, maybe. Right. But like his inserts are almost seamless to the cinematography around the scenes. Yes. That blows my mind. That really blows my mind that they were able to match continuity. Like even later, whenever um, Bruce encounters Barry in his uh, layer of TVs, then Barry goes on this big thing about how he thinks brunch is weird. That yeah. was all secondary. Yeah. They shot again and inserted. You can't tell. There's no difference. And that is crazy to me. But anyway, yeah, you had um, 
I, I think Whedon probably made the right call to keep, um, you know, the village of the damned from singing the praises of the sweater. I don't know. That was weird to me. Yeah. That felt yeah. self masturbatory to me, which I'd say is a lot of this movie. Well, and, and that's like, that's, that's the, that's the first scene in the movie too. Like, uh, uh, the film basically opens with like Ben Affleck going up into the mountains and, and, and going to talk to Aquaman. Um, and, and for it to, that to set the tone, um, is, is insane to me, but yeah, the, 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 to, to your point now, again, we, I, I think we, uh, probably should put a little disclaimer in here that just because anything nice said about Whedon, uh, is, is meant to be about his work, not about, uh, yeah, that's the man fair. himself. No, it's the, um, the dude made these bones by able to like take ensembles and, and kind of tell tight stories and have humor. Yes. You know, like, and you and you had said this earlier, and uh, uh, that about the idea of of kind of comparing the two, uh, and Whedon understanding the economy of storytelling, um, which I think is absolutely true, and that's why I think ultimately the theatrical version, while somewhat different tonally, I think tells the story. I don't know if it's told better, but at least it's done half the time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's an act. I would, I want that on the poster now. It's like, it may not be told better, but it is half the time. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, much, it's a much quicker version. Um, it's like, Hey, don't have four hours to kill, but two, you watch this one, you know, but that was my though, is that it, it, it predominantly in the first, roughly the first two hours of this, uh, of this movie was everything that was cut. I was like, we didn't have the right idea cutting half of this like um and uh you know and, and then uh like that flash scene which i i that scene uh by that point i think that's about the hour and a half mark i think when flash shaves iris west um you're right she, it's, uh, yeah, it's about uh, uh, that scene uh, i i had a vision in my head of sitting in a theater watching this movie and just start would just start screaming <laughs> Because um, it's because at this point the movie had been like 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 seventy five percent slow motion that I was like why is this another slow motion scene like and I just started laughing because I was like wow we're we're you've now reached the point where slow motion is becoming self parody and um, I'm like I get it Zack Snyder really loves uh, slow motion but I'm like this scene why do we keep slowing down yeah. Uh, and I'm like, this movie should be ramping up. I mean, and we're, we're I'm, I'm, I'm like, we're, we're almost a, a halfway through this movie and nothing's happened. And now we're going to slow down and watch the flash save a hot dog. Um, <laughs> like that, that should be the chapter like, name. Somber music. That should have been uh, and I'm like, they call me a traditionalist, but I, I remember back when movies had scores. Um, uh, why is there, uh, why, or why are these weird musical choices? Um, and why do why do the village of the dam sing to Aquaman after he's gone? I, um, okay, so I'll say this though: the Junkie XL score, for the most part, I dug. I don't know if it's thematically appropriate for the film um, because he also did the scoring for uh, Batman vs Superman, and there's some yeah. cool music cues there. But I'm also kind of a honk for like that synth type of sound. The first time we see Wonder Woman in this movie, where she's standing on that big statue. We don't hear heroic music. We hear synth music, and that's not Wonder Woman for me, you know. And no. that's like, like also they just let her just show her show her kill a man in front of all those kids, and then and then the one girl's like, "I want to be like you," and she's like, "You can be like you can be a murderer in front of all kids. It's fine." Yeah. 
Well, yeah, Wonder Woman didn't have to blow up half a building either. Um, no. uh, like, she could have just knocked that guy out. Uh, but instead, she 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 clanks her things together and blows up half a building. And I'm like, you could have just punched him. Um, yeah. But so, I guess it so wouldn't Steve, have been flashy, you know? How did you like uh, that? Where it's like, I can stop all these bullets with my bracelets, but... And then I'm just going to kill this guy. Like, what? Like, <laughs> which, bam. Yeah. So, Steve. That I, scene yeah. gave me whiplash. Um, <laughs> it's actually in my notes. The fact that uh, he keeps cutting back and forth to uh, slow motion to, yes. you know, uh, Diana's, you know, fast paced movements. Like, I was like, okay, you, 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 you've got to use one of them for an effect. You can't use both because it's it's screwing with me as I was watching it. Like, it was literally like, I'm like, why are my eyes hurting right now? Like, it, it there was just something about it. Like, I, I, I don't want to say it was going to induce a seizure, but I feel like it was close. I feel like, um, I feel like Patty Jenkins um, actually kind of captured the spirit of that a little better, where she would do, like, like individual sections of Wonder Woman, like Diana fighting. And then, then speed it up again. Like it's it's more shown in the first movie, Wonder Woman, that she at least got what's like there. Like I'm sure that there was like a, a style sheet, right, handed out to everybody. Like, oh, if you're gonna make a movie in this universe, you definitely gotta slow things down. I know you only have like a 45 minute shooting script, but you could definitely make this two and a half hours of slow mo. But I think that she made it more coherent. With there, it's like again. Um, and this is going to be something I'll come back to. This is my biggest hot take is that I feel like because Snyder felt like something was taken away from him, though he had to walk away because no one's going to fault him from walking away from this production at all. No. I just feel like he has this chip on his shoulder of like, you guys haven't seen what I can do, which means every single frame I shot is going to be in here regardless if it makes, if it adds a, or not, because you guys are going to choke this down because you want this. And that absolutely, that's how I felt watching a lot of this of like, you're going to just take this because you've been waiting for four years. Like, and that's frustrating to me. So here's, here's my other note about that scene. Um, and we can debate, you know, his take on Wonder Woman being an Amazon and her, her having a different outlook on, uh, you know, human life and who to kill and, and that kind of thing. But um, the, that scene is then followed by the mother box on Themyscira sequence, which is actually a really great sequence. It's, it's really impressive. It, it, it's got a lot of scope to it, and it, it gives us the importance of what the mother box is. Um, You're talking about the, is, when he shows up at the Amazon Prime headquarters there, right, with uh, the box there? Like, it's, it's all a shipping error, right? He's going to right. Amazon Prime headquarters. He's just trying to get a box delivered to the right spot. Let's just be honest. <laughs> Yes, the uh, Amazons on Themyscira are guarding, essentially, the uh, mother box that was left behind uh, years and years and years and years ago. But uh, yeah, I lost my train of thought. So, Sorry, I, that, the whole sequence is great, so, but well, he, that, he adds well, stuff well, to okay, it. Okay, I got it. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Okay, so <laughs> they, they get to this point where Steppenwolf shows up. He makes off with the box. They decide we need to let the rest of the world know what's happening we got to light this, you know, uh, warning fire. And someone points out to Hippolyta, they're like, man isn't going to know what this means. And, and Hippolyta makes a note and says, the important thing is that she will know, mm-hmm. meaning Wonder Woman. But then we go back to Diana uh, working in the, um, uh, the museum that she's working in, and then she sees it. And I'm like, at the script writing stage, you have three scenes that are sort of telling not the same story, but like, why wouldn't you introduce Aquam- or Wonder Woman after we saw Themyscira and then have her seeing 
the fire in that scene. Like after she's, you know, ruined all terrorists or terrorists for, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the rest of the movie in, in that moment, like, I guess if I'm a, a screenwriter, why I would say like, okay, these three, three scenes have things in common. Is there a way that we can do it in less time or less uh, scenes that we're going to be doing? Like you could have introduced Wonder Woman and had her seeing the flames in the same yeah. scene. It would have been more dramatic and it also would have been shorter. Um, so I, I just think that it would have been smarter to introduce her after we got the Themyscira. You know, what uh, also have been shorter is one. We didn't need to see the temple fall to the sea. We didn't need to see all the other stuff added. Uh, we also didn't need to see a seven minute sequence of a coffin with a bow and arrow in it being brought. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. like, great. Like, I understand this is an important arrow. I get like, I'm not, you know, cool. Right. But it's like that, that was added. It didn't need to be like it. Like, Cause that's, I also, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. And, uh, and I think you're both on the, on the right track that actually the, the theatrical version, it's much tighter. Um, it, where it, it cuts, it, it just cuts from, uh, her saying she'll know. And then it just cuts to her at the museum and they're saying, like, and, uh, she knows, um, instead, uh, you know, in this one, we've got, we, that information has three additional scenes added, um, it, it, for no particular reason. Like it, it the, the, the point gets across in the yeah. in the theatrical version. She's become very she comes Nick Cage from a National Treasure and goes there and picks up the arrow, yep. and then goes and puts it in the slot. And then you see that it's just like, you know, like we. I understand like the whole admission of Dark Side. We can talk about that too when we get there. But it's like we know that there's a threat, right? Cause the box is gone. We've already seen spiking McGee come and take it. She knows yeah. what's up, right? Like you don't need, I don't know. Like maybe, maybe this, this, maybe my, my viewing of it is more frustrating. Cause I literally just watched the original cut of the movie before diving into this one. But, mm. but there is that like efficiency of story. Like Steve's talking about, like you can slam this together a little bit. And again, uh, I'll give credit to the theatrical cut that I think that like, they got a lot of that across whether or not some of the stuff kind of leaks out the sides. and isn't as effective. Right. But, um, also too, we didn't like in the, in the theatrical cut, we have Batman already on the hunt and knowing that there's something wrong and we get like a cool little Batman sequence and him like seeing that there's a bigger threat happening and there's the shadow of Superman's death. Like we kind of get his motivations real early in this one. It's like, he's still, his whole goal is to put a team together, which is the same goal of both films. But, Batman's already thinking ahead to the bigger threat as opposed to just saying we need a team. I feel like that kind of takes the legs out from the first part of this film too, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it bounces, it bounces around so much that like, uh, I read one review of this movie that mentions that Batman disappears for about a whole half hour of the film. And in that He's just early on, yeah. and, uh, as a character who's supposed to is ostensibly the, the main character, uh, to have him sort of disappear, for 30 minutes is, is kind of bizarre. Um, and like flash doesn't even show. I don't think we even see flash until like 45 minutes in. Um, it, it's all like, it's, it's, that's the thing is that there's so much time, uh, that is used for no particular reason. And I think that you're right. I think it's about, it's about self-indulgence. That's just like everything I'm going to, I'm going to put every single idea I have into this movie and so we spend two hours literally kind of doing nothing. It just spins its wheels. And we just keep moving yeah. from lurching from scene to scene. And they don't cut together well. There, uh, uh, There's very little scene cohesion here. 
Um, like like exactly that Wonder Woman uh, sequence in particular is is exactly what I mean by that. Whereas in the theatrical cut, it was fight of the Amazons. Okay, we send the arrow. Okay, Wonder Woman now knows there's a problem. Wonder Woman goes and sees Batman. We're done. Yeah. Um, and in this movie, it's Amazons fight. Amazons have ritual. Uh, <laughs> we see Arrow fly through the air. Uh, Wonder Woman sees the fire. She goes to the temple, runs around, uh, sees a picture, sees a cave painting a dark side, uh, and then about uh, and then we have like scene of Bat, uh, scene of Flash, scene of Aquaman, scene uh, five six minutes of Cyborg. Then Wonder Woman goes and sees Batman, and it's like, well, why? Like, yeah. why? Why is it? Why is why is it taking so long to get from point A to point B? Uh, uh, it, this is called it's it's filmmaking. This is supposed to be a movie, right? Like, why are we spending? Uh, we're spending a lot of time uh, talking about other stuff that doesn't matter in a movie that it's already. I mean, even at two and a half hours, two and a half hours is too long. Um, we need to. Uh, I remember, you know, when movies used to be ninety minutes. Like Paul was talking to me, he was been talk, watching a lot of Alfred Hitchcock movies. Uh, how many? How many? three-hour epics that Alfred Hitchcock direct. Um, <laughs> Not many. None. I think his yeah, longest one's like two uh, hours like, I think his minutes. longest film yeah. is probably 120 minutes. Yeah, a little bit longer uh, than that. Because back in the day, you know, it, it, and I think it's something that Joss Whedon understood too, which was that, look, you, we need to finish this thing up. Well, considering you know? that he had Age of Ultron, which was like two and a half hours, right? And I yes. know that there was some stuff there where he was given notes of like, you got to squeeze all this in, which, and Steve, I'm, I'm not, I'm not silenting you. You're not cyborg in this conversation. Jump in whenever you want, please. Um, cause you know, you're important to this. You're the heart of this conversation. You are cyborg in that aspect. <laughs> um, you're not maligned like the theatrical cyborg, please. Just know also that. Steven, you have to jump in or cause I won't shut up. Well, <laughs> no, I was just going to say real quick. It's interesting that you brought up cyborg because one of my notes is, is that we literally are an, a, it's an hour and a half in the film when we start to get some cyborg. I think there's a few fleeting shots of him at the beginning of the film. Uh, setting up the mother boxes and everything and the relationship. The, the of mother box that was in a closet character. with like sporting goods. Right. <laughs> but we don't actually get an introduction to Cyborg until an hour and a half into the film. Yeah, no. I understand. But it's like, I think I have like an Nintendo 64 in the same position in a closet that that mother box was in. I'm like, I don't. All right, cool. But yeah, and so I'm just to speak to, um, Whedon was given a lot to work with Age of Ultron in terms of try weaving and all these other stories. And Age of Ultron... I like that movie, and this is not going to be a discussion about that movie, but I would say that it yeah. is another larger form uh, vehicle in which multiple, you know, you have multiple heroes, big threat, um, you know, whatever, right? Like, it is like you can see why he was brought in for this. I also think he learned some lessons there of like, if you try, if you try to please too many masters, you're going to please none. I'm not saying that some of his decision making in terms of like stripping out Cyborg, which I think Cyborg is the heart of this. And if there's yeah. if there's a big if there's two biggest problems I have with with the theatrical versus this one is that I think they should have kept Steppenwolf's motivation intact, and I think they should have kept Cyborg. And you could have given me yeah. a two and a half hour movie that could have dot like crossed all those T's, dot all those eyes, and also you could have had Superman smile for fuck's sake. You know that would yeah. I think we could have been happy there. Um, so yeah, it is. I don't know. Like that's all. That's just all very frustrating. When you said that anyway, you're like, this is a movie, right? Steve, I'm going to put this to you. Uh, Cyborg, Steve, I'm going to put this to you. 
Um, as a writer, as a creator, I know you've told me that like with, with you doing your, your book, science slasher, you did have envisioned like a bigger, a bigger run, but now you're, you're making decisions to, to tell a little bit more focused story. So is this one of those things where it's like you, you all, you, you will write all these things down in the margins and then would you leave them for a minute and come back and be like, yeah, this is important, but can I do this better and get the point across quicker? Like, do you maybe see that with watching the Snyder cut? Yeah, I, I certainly do. And actually, I I, I don't want to go back a step, but, you know, I think it's important to have the conversation about Cyborg and in the idea of Snyder really just being about the image um, or at least the, the visual. Um, now, this is, again, nothing against Ray Fisher because I think he's a good actor. I think I, I remember liking him in the theatrical cut. I didn't dislike anything that he did here. But are we ever given a reason to even like Cyborg? Like, other than seeing that he gives somebody some money, he spends the movie like everyone else. He's pretty good at sports, too. I mean, right? I don't right. Know. <laughs> but, I mean, are we ever given... He loves his I know mom. it's supposed to be like he's a tragic yeah. character. We're supposed to see that, like, almost a Frankenstein's monster type thing going on. There's, a little, there's, a, there's a little bit too much Frankenstein in, in, uh, in it. Yeah. But, like, my version, the version that I, you know, read in comics and have seen, you know, in different iterations of animated shows, there's a fun side to Cyborg, and we get yes. none of it here. And I, I, I was kind of bothered by that. It was like, and I know I mentioned earlier that, you know, Flash seems to be the only one who gets to have any sort of humor or fun moments. And I, I feel like Cyborg, yes, there's tragedy to his story, but, like, we never get to a point where we're really given a reason to care about him or even know him as a person other than like he was, you know, neglected by his parents because they were both top level scientists and his dad neglected him more than his mom. And then his mom dies in the car crash that, you know, basically took away most of his uh, body. His dad saves him using the mother box and, and that's about it. Um, and then he's just <laughs> angry about it. Like, I, and it, yeah. again, it goes to the point that, like, perhaps a cyborg movie that would have come out before Justice League would have been a better move. I think trying I to introduce a character at this level, at this point in a movie, is troublesome at best. Also, if you're going to make, uh, as uh, uh, Paul said, it's, it's it, cyborg is sort of set up to be sort of the heart of this movie in a lot of ways that it's a very, very cyborg heavy film. Why didn't we start with him? Um you know, it's it's uh, again, it's it's strange, strange choices not made. Um, that uh, that cyborg, uh, we should have probably, if you're going to anchor your movie with cyborg, you don't introduce him in an hour and a half. Yes. Um, you would have to introduce him much much sooner than that. And uh, you're right, there are, I think, uh, in the middle of everything, I think there's like two shots of him, and both of them are basically him saying like, "Rar, I don't like you, Dad." Um, and, um, I don't like my dad and, uh, I'm mad that I'm a, I'm a Frankenstein's monster. Um, and I'm like, okay, fine. I, I liked him. And I, and I think, I think you're right, Steven. I think that we're not really, really given a reason to like him, um, much as the, much for this, but I think we do like him, but much for the same reason why we understand the, the only way you understand the cave painting of dark side is if you know the source material. Um, which is again, bad filmmaking. Uh, if you, if you need, so I mean, I, what my point is, is that, uh, in the middle of my babbling 
is uh, Cyborg. I think we like Cyborg because we know who Cyborg is because we're comic book geeks. Yeah. Um, the movie doesn't give us that. Um, and the movie is supposed to give us that. That's what movies are. You know, the movie is supposed to to give you all the necessary information. But I think that this film more or less. And like you said, it, it, again, we don't really get his origin story until even after he's been introduced. I think the origin story comes in the third can, hour. Doesn't there, it? There's two separate origin stories for him. So I want to note yeah. here. Uh, where do I have here? I, I wrote this down. Um, we have his first bit of him, like uh, it is in part three, where we get his origin story of being, you know, the the like the successful like player with his parents and the the crash or whatever, right? And then in part four, uh, called Change Machine, which I like that your co-host on that Devil's Ball posted an image of an actual change machine talking about this movie because that's about right. Where you just put a dollar in and get four quarters, right? Change machine. Um, so yeah. uh, we get his we get his origin story in part two when he's explaining his connection to the mother mother box. Which I also like that um, every bad thing in this world that's box shaped ties back to Nazis, which is, seems to be a comic book staple. Like, is it a square? Is it deadly? Nazis probably touched it. You know, um, but anyway. Um, so yeah, you're right. Like, so that's the two parts. So if again, had I gotten this. I like I, I like Cyborg's development in terms of least you get a little bit more of what's going on with him like you know the whole thing where you find out like people like like there's that Albert notion of like you're broken and incomplete and he's like no I'm like I'm not like look great the parallel tracks in this this movie should have been if you're gonna do this and this is just me being guy that's not getting paid to make movies yeah. if if the parallel track is Cyborg trying to figure out his relationship with his father and also kind of seek approval and place in the world great. Steppenwolf is the same thing. That's the parallel track. And that was never mirrored right. And I think those two would have been the three. Yeah, movie. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, I, right. I never got that from the film either. But I, do you I see what I'm saying? Like, like he's, uh, you know, like, so Steppenwolf is ostracized and is trying to get back into the good graces, dark side. So he's not, he, he is trying to win his, his father's approval, basically, right? And Cyborg isn't, but he also needs his father. There's your track. That's your connective tissue. That's when you give a shit about both of them. And I, this was not done well here. Um, I do think Steppenwolf was a better developed character here. And I think, I think the theatrical cut could have kept that seeking approval there without, cause, but at the same time, I could also feel like Joss Whedon being like, yeah, I did Avengers one, uh, Loki and, um, the Chitari were trying to appease Thanos and it's, it's almost the same thing, you know? But he's not paid. He's not getting paid by Warner Brothers to not make the Avengers. He's getting paid by Warner Brothers to make Batman Avengers. You know, like, and I think yeah. if you have the same emotional button, people will call you out on it. But it's effective. And years down the line, DC fans would probably thank you for that. You know, like I it just, I think I think there's something here, right? Because there's a lot of seeking approval, and I think Steppenwolf and Cyborg. Because I mean, well, they're also shiny metal guys too. Just tossing it out there as well. Yeah. Um, a lot more shiny and pointy uh, for Steppenwolf this time around. Um, I don't know if there was budget for points and shininess in the, the first time around. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, I think I think that would have been the heart of your movie. And both uh, both times kind of biff it. Yeah. 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 I uh, like I I never made that connection, and I, I kind of feel stupid now. Yeah, I think you're oh, right. No, it's, I, mean, I think there is a. I'm I'm a few white claws in. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. But it's like, and also you talk about the idea of a mother <laughs> yeah. box and unity. Like it's so on the fucking nose. Like you know, like sorry, Steve, say please, please no, save no, me, no. save me here. 
No, no, I was just going to say that, like, yeah, you, you're right. I, I like Nathaniel, had not even picked up on the fact that it's supposed to be a parallel story. But at the same time, like, I shouldn't have to work for I, I don't that. think Zack Snyder picked up its parallel story. That's my point, is <laughs> yeah. that, like, I, you know, think, I think both were a couple degrees off. That's all. And, you know, to go back to your question about, like, oh, writing something and editing it and, you know... I mean, just listening to me talk, you know, I I have a bunch of different ideas going through my head when I'm on the podcast. I sometimes have trouble actually even like articulating my thoughts because there's I don't want to make it sound like there's so much going on in this big old brain of mine. But like I sometimes <laughs> you, I have you see I the probably, stock market. It's visualized <laughs> as a bull and a bear fighting each other. And then you see like the world is Tron. I know, Steve, I know. You know, I, you, you I call me at two in the morning saying my brain won't stop. Please help me. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer I prefer writing simply because I can edit better that way. When I'm talking off the cuff like we are right now, I have trouble getting to a point where I can self-edit and talk at the same time. So um, the point that I was going to make is, is that like, uh, you know, yes, I will write a bunch of stuff out and then I'll look at it and go like, I don't need like half of this or three quarters right. of it, you know, um, it's good that I got there and that I wrote it out, but the end product doesn't necessarily need it. Like, uh, you know, you, you brought up my comic, the Saturday slasher, like, uh, there are a lot of things that I know about all the characters in the story that are not important to the story at all. And I sometimes struggle cause I'm like, I want to include this weird fact that, really is not important to the story but you know like every single one of the victims somebody... slasher also had appendicitis but you won't tell anybody is that one of the weird <laughs> facts yes i have yes. my theories just you know just the guy's looking for appendices and he can't find them that's all you know anyway you know like uh the there's there's things that you include as a writer i think and nathaniel you, you also write as well correct like uh, uh yeah uh, uh in the theoretical sense but yes uh, <laughs> uh, uh, uh but yeah, I, uh, I, I have a, I, I just recently got my, uh, my bachelor's degree at, uh, at, you know, 38 and, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm right there with you in the sense that I kept thinking about this in the, in this movie as well, uh, which is, uh, if you take any basic creative writing course in college or, or talk to any writer, basically you can't really teach writing. You can't, uh, you can't make somebody you can make somebody a better writer but you can't really teach them how to write but one of the things that it, one of the main things you'll get in any creative writing course is making choices you have to make it you have to make choices you can't throw everything in in fact it's a it's a line in um of all movies i'm gonna bring up michael douglas and you know, wonder boys uh which is a, a very movie very much about writing and about teaching writing uh where at the end uh uh the main character has uh, uh, in that movie has a huge stack of papers and he has been working on this book for years. And what we find out at the end where uh, is that he literally just can't stop writing it. And so um, he's adding in everything, you know, every idea he has is in this, is in this book is in this manuscript. And his student basically says like, you didn't make any choices at all. And he, it becomes a metaphor for his life that he, he's like, right. I haven't been making any choices uh, I don't want to make any choices. My wife died and, and I've been, you know, living my life, uh, just, you know, uh, obsessively. Uh, and that's, to me, that's what this movie was. I was like, did, he didn't, don't, nobody made any choices. 
like they just put everything in. And uh, so, I mean, yeah, I think I'm right there with you that it, you, you, the idea of when you write, you have to make choices. When And um, and I think Chris Terrio wrote this movie, which, by the way, nobody's mentioned Chris Terrio on social media. Um, it's always Zack Snyder. It's like, yeah. you know, Zack Snyder. Uh, in fact, somebody actually right. said it on social media. Somebody's like, I think I think Zack Snyder writes Wonder Woman better than Patty Jenkins. And I'm like, he didn't write her at all. Chris <laughs> Terrio wrote it. Chris Terrio wrote the movie. Um uh, but, uh, you know, remember there are screenwriters, uh, oh, he, he was actually a writer on the rise of Skywalker, Steve. Does that make you happy to know about that? Okay. <laughs> uh, but he actually did the screenplay for Argo, which won best picture, yeah. which is a great movie. Like, don't get me yeah. wrong. And well, I'm looking like at the rest Akiva of the Goldsmith. stuff and that might be it. But anyway, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say um, Akiva Goldsmith uh, also wrote, um, you know, Batman and Robin and also has, I think two Academy Awards. So like, yeah. You know, it, it, <laughs> not every writer is going to knock it out of the park. I think some of it also has to do like with their either affection or at least their interest in the material. I don't know Chris Terrio's background. I honestly don't. But I'm assuming that some of it is just, you know, we I'm sorry, not we Snyder saying like, here, this is what I want write this I, that's at least the way i i, I would imagine i would imagine it was back and forth i'm sure snyder probably gave him some like notes and was like this is where we need to go with this i mean that would make the, sense the, to me the story the story by credit is chris terrio and Zack snyder um so yeah snyder originally and i know that snyder kevin smith talked about it at some point with of what snyder's original sort of treatment was on the justice league trilogy which i think we we lucked out on um, which is not what happened. Did he just take was, like a, like a whole entire inkwell and just drop it on paper and be like, here, it's all no, it's just I, one big black serves, dark smear. Yeah. You know, anyway, if memory serves, Kevin Smith had basically said that he had he had gotten he'd gotten hold of it somehow. Warner Brothers had given it to him or something, which was the Justice League trilogy as Zack Snyder saw it, which had something like Superman didn't appear in part one at all. Green Lantern did, uh, and they failed to stop Steppenwolf and. Um, the second movie is them is like the search for Spock. They like go try to get Superman back. And, and that's the main drive of part two. And then part three is dark side shows up and the United league fight him. Uh, but the idea was at the end of the movie, uh, the earth was basically destroyed. Like it was a post-apocalyptic wasteland. And that was going to be the DCEU moving forward. So I think we lucked out. Um, Cause I mean, what, like we needed a more miserable, uh, <laughs> DCEU. Uh, <laughs> well, but let's be let's be fair. Let's let's take a step back just one sec because that's yeah. what we're doing now, right? Because I mean, clearly, because they took a step four years ago and not whatever. Anyways, now yeah. we're talking about something that, like, you know, anyway, that's been long gestating. If um, having having the heroes lose and having to wait. I'm completely fine with like I, I think yeah. one of the one of the greatest movies ever, and I know Steve will high five me in a distance. Is I think the Empire Strikes Back, right? It ends on a downer. Heroes lose. What happens next? Um, I I mean, as much as um, Disney was trying to hide the fact that Infinity War was not a two parter that wasn't wasn't announced like four years in advance, the heroes lose, right? And it's like, but that also took like what twenty plus movies to get to. Like yeah. I feel like with this though, it's like. They were trying to like they were trying to like um, like uh, like uh, easy bake oven their way to this big uh, you know conflict, and if, if that was going to be his original look of like oh they failed and now we got to get Superman back we're gonna do this I think that would have been fine, but I also feel like he was trying to have his uh, cake and eat it too here where it's like oh no 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 we're gonna get Superman back but we're gonna keep showing you some messed up shit of what could happen I like just is it one or the other 
Is it one or the other? Because uh, at this point, we all know there's nothing else coming, which I also believe that he's trying to now create a groundswell for Warner Brothers to give the green light for further movies. Because why would he do what he's going to do if he's not trying to be like, look, the fans were right once. Like, whatever. Uh, but he kept like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not – I. I... That's that's that that was something that I wondered about too. I'm watching this movie and realizing he's setting up a bunch of stuff that we're probably never going to see. Um, uh, in particular, Martian Manhunter. Uh, spoiler alert: Martian Manhunter shows up for no particular reason. Oh, um, I'm sorry. I don't want to interrupt you. No, I just please. want to say this real quick. That scene. That's the other thing that pissed me off in this movie. <laughs> yeah. What's a nice scene between Martha Kent? And Lois Lane, and it's actually the subtlest thing in the entire movie, is then ruined by a damn cameo at the end of it. Like, yeah. Yeah, there's no, no reason that Martian Manhunter shows up there. I, like, I, why I, could I wrote that. Been... Yeah, as I say, I wrote that in the notes as uh, Ma Kent is now a Martian Manhunter, you know? <laughs> so there we like, go. It make, it, it's there for no reason other than, like, we squeezed Martian Manhunter into the movie. Like, it's... Yep. It's so dumb. Uh, you and then, of course, the, the, and they end the movie on Martian Manhunter. Well, okay. um, I found out why. Is, Do you want to know why they did that? No, I just read an article about it. Because Zack Snyder wanted uh, John Stewart, um, not not the the comedy guy, but the Green Lantern, to be the guy to show up at the end to wake up Ben Affleck from his twenty nine minute um, uh, Zack Snyder wet dream. We'll talk about that in, like later, I'm sure. And I'm be sure. like, oh, I'm here now. Like you saw a Green Lantern ring earlier. And now I'm here. And 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 DC was like, or Warner Brothers was like, no, no Green Lantern. I'm gonna I'm gonna bet they're gonna be like, we can't pay for another person to stop it, you know. But so he shot he shot a sequence in his backyard. He said, and he snuck it in there, and everyone's like, no, no Green Lantern. So he's like, fine, Martian Manhunter again, like. I think it was because Warner Brothers is like, we've already given you enough money. We don't want somebody else under contract with the possibility of them playing another character in a franchise that we've not announced. But And they, yeah, and they used the the guy uh, from Batman vs. Superman, uh, also probably best known for the guy who spit all of his lines at Lawrence Fishburne in the Matrix film. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, a, a guy who uses way too much enunciation, like, you know, but... Um, uh, not that he's a bad Martian Manhunter. I'm like, yeah, okay, great. Uh, you know, and I, I was, I'm like Martian Manhunter. I love Martian Manhunter. He's probably my favorite Justice Leaguer. But I'm like, you can't just throw him in to this movie and then not use him. <laughs> I like the uh, It's like, hey, you know what this movie needs aside from a guy that can fly around and it's from another planet and it's kind of this alien force? A second one that can do that as well. How about that? Well, yeah. <laughs> it's it's weird that he would choose to sit out this battle that's going on, right? Like, Right. Like, why would Martian Manhunter like, you know, for all of Zack Snyder's, you know, uh, you know, flights of fancy that he takes with the film. Like, he might as well have just had us like have him Martian Manhunter watching it on his couch eating Oreos. Like, <laughs> yeah, that would have been he's a like, bigger. He's DC, like Tom like, Waits at the end of Mystery Men of like, I don't know how that all work out. Is he <laughs> watching everything? Because he literally shows up at the end of the movie and says, like, I would like to join the Justice League now. And I, and I, I really wanted Batman to be like, well, great. We've, we've already won, dude. I wanted, like, I, I wanted, uh, I wanted Affleck to be right like, now. either be like, yeah. like oh, did you want to get some coffee? Because, you know, I'm awake now. Or or be like, just go online. There's an application process. It's fine. Later. And, like, I would have loved it either been like, because I love, I love that Affleck plays it so dismissive of, like, oh, there's a green dude flying near me. Okay, what yeah, now? Okay, like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> 
that's so dumb. It's so fucking dumb. Uh, but, yeah, it's so so dumb. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, that like like so the whole thing with so we had you know we had Ma Kent right come in and talk to to uh, Lois Lane right, which again in the Whedon version she does that much earlier where she shows up to Lois at the Daily Planet saying, "Hey, we lost the farm. I'll be fine." And then Lois is talking to her about like you know life after. Superman and she's like and and and, and my kids like well why aren't you out there doing stuff she's like I'm not ready yet and that gives you everything you need to know about Lois Lane where she's at yeah and that's fine I wanted her to be like I know I know there was that big Jolly Rancher of Doom that I could have grabbed earlier but I, whatever it's fine and Superman's not I kind of blame myself whatever anyway um, we got everything early in the movie and then we get this and it's like now we like when we see uh, Ma Kent later in Kansas hugging Superman. I wrote my notes. I'm like, well, was that Martian Manhunter just hugging Superman? Like, <laughs> right. I'm really confused now because can I, right. I can because I trust? No, that's not. There's no. Yeah, there's no frame of reference. There's no like uh, by having him be Ma Kent. Now we have to question every time Ma Kent was ever. It was, was, is Martian Manhunter Superman's mom? I, it would have been better like when they got the house at the end where like Superman's like, hey, thanks for getting the house back. And you see uh, Ma Kent turn around. <laughs> like this is before she establishes who, like before Batman knows, but you see one red eye wink at Batman and Batman's like, what is going on? I don't understand that. And then Martian Manhunter would show up and be like, I want to join your team. Also, thank you for the house in Kansas and just fly away. That would have been <laughs> right. an amazing ending to this movie. Well, I think it would have been <laughs> uh, they never saved Martha in Batman v Superman, so Martian Manor has just been, sta- you know, standing in ever since. Right. I, I want. I wanted to go even further back. I just want uh, Martian Manhunter married uh, Kevin Costner. <laughs> um, like I want to like, cut. It's like they find they find a naked baby Superman, and and Martian Manhunter is like, we've been waiting for this day. <laughs> like I want. I want an enemy mine situation. That's what I want now. That's 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 the movie. Why are we that's making it. a better movie? I want, now? I, I am now choosing. I'm going to rewatch Man of Steel, and I'm going to choose to believe that Diane Diane Keaton is is just um Diane, is just Martian is it, Manhunter. Is it Diane Ladd? Is that Diane Keaton? Or Diane Ladd. Ladd. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Uh, uh, Diane Ladd is just Martian Manhunter. Um, <laughs> that every time we've ever seen her, it's been Martian Manhunter. Uh, oh, Martian Christ. Manhunter is Superman's mob, and um, hey, I think hey, that's Snyder cut. Think, it's 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 canon now, right? So we now that know really, that. Release the Martian Manhunter cut. I uh, I want Martha's eyes to glow uh, in Man of Steel. She's uh, <laughs> she the Martian Manhunter is Superman's mom now, yeah. and uh, in my and that's my fan canon. Right so there. Steve, how do you feel about Martian Manhunter being Superman's mom? I need your hot take on that. I think uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny. I, I think uh, it would also blow a lot of the uh, minds of the people who have been calling for release the Snyder cut because they don't seem to be the most open of people sometimes uh, to uh, other ideas. And uh, well, that would uh, explain his uh, heritage because he's part alien and part human, right? Or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think that uh, that would be a, an interesting idea for them to grapple with. But uh, I, I looked at my notes here too. And I, I, I have something that I actually complained about in the theatrical cut. Uh, that's the same here that I'm going to bring up real okay, quick. It's, um, and I, I feel like all I've been doing is shit talking the movie. There are things that I like, and I, I was going to say the same thing. I, I think we should, after, no, no, after we you will, make this point, no, yeah. I think we should move on to something that we like. Yeah, eventually, because, uh, eventually we'll get to some things we like for sure. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> I just wanted to mention real quick that, uh, the night crawler is still, the dumbest idea for a vehicle. <laughs> and I still have no idea what it's doing in either cut. Like, I, 
I do not understand what Bruce's thought process was. Like, well, I need something slow and big that moves like a crap. And inc- incredibly wide that only can fit in one specific place. You know, oh, and, and luckily, I, and luckily, it fits in the location that they were fighting in, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> yeah, that was. But it's like you watch this stuff. It does nothing. Like, like it, it doesn't. I'm it t- I wonder. Nothing. I wonder, and I'm 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 talking over you guys. I apologize, but I wonder if people that wanted the Snyder Cut, if they thought the, that those dumb decisions that were in the movie already were solely at the feet of Whedon. You know, and then they, they get this, and they're like, oh, shit, the Nightcrawler's still there. Oh, you know, like, just, it makes me wonder. It's like, oh, um, oh, what else? There's there's some other dumb things that happen, too, but, like, I, I just wonder if they're, like, blaming all of it. Like, like, um, like even even the bits of comedy that are in the movie, it makes me wonder. They're like, no, no comedy. There could be no smiling in DC. We've seen Joker. We know it's incapable of having <laughs> smiles, you know? They uh, no, they're 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 calling it. Uh, uh, two people I've seen two people call it quote literally perfect. Um, wow! Yeah, so, so, like you're me, are, uh, so you're telling me? So you're telling me they've seen they've seen two movies. Fans. They've seen two movies. One was the Whedon version of this film, and this was the second one. They've not seen a third movie. That's my take. Ever. <laughs> But yes, they uh, they 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 are referring to this uh, as a perfect movie, I guess. And I'm like, look, uh, it's it's demonstratively not perfect. <laughs> um, you know, uh, it, I mean, Jaws is a perfect movie. I mean, the it, Godfather is a perfect. If you movie. want to go by uh, if you want to go by absolute length, then Abel Gantz's Napoleon's a perfect movie because this is not like six to twelve hours or something. Like that is that was an early like here. I'll look it up. I'll look up the runtime as we're talking. That was an early yeah. like a uh, silent film that was three screens and people are like how long is this and it's like nope this is my whole story of napoleon 1927 and it was um five hours and 30 minutes so that must be the most perfect movie ever made yeah (laughs) i am curious if there is an age gap like in the sense of like who the snyder fans are and i i don't mean that to be shitty about it but like Uh, steve we're target market you know it's 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 a bunch of it's a bunch of overweight guys with facial hair and that's like that's where we're at no, like Nathaniel had mentioned that uh, he's 38. I'm eight years older than him. So even though we probably don't hit the same demographics, like if we're filling out a form, we're probably both still more familiar with, uh, based on what he said his reading material was growing up, we're probably familiar with a lot of the same ideas and concepts. I do wonder, like, if there's, you know, is, is it like 16-year-old kids who think this is the greatest thing ever? Like, uh, and I, I, I apologize because I'm bringing up a, a completely unrelated subject, but I, I remember Rob Zombie talking about making Halloween before he made Halloween. He's like, I don't want to remake Halloween. He's like, I can't imagine what I would have done with that because uh, he was talking about test screenings. He's like, what would I have done with Halloween when I was 14? I would have fucked it up. And like, I can't help but think of language. That Steve. Now terms. you're talking about Halloween. You can't swear. Only with I, Justice League specific. No, <laughs> I'm using a, a reference for something else. But the point that I'm making is, is that is it an age thing? Like, is it that like I can't see it through my old man eyes? I do wonder that. I'm like, is it that I'm just so appalled by new ideas, or that I'm? I, I guess. Is it is it naivete or is it me being looking at it through the lens of somebody who is probably seen more and knows more than say the average person who is championing the cut? I guess I I don't know if there's a better way of phrasing that, but well, I think that's I, my point makes sense. 
Yeah, yeah I think so. I mean, I, I, from what I've seen from or seem to understand, most of the uh, the demographic that is a Snyder Cut seem to be around my age, um, about 40. Okay. Um, and it seems to be the idea because their major arguments tend to be, as Paul kind of uh, uh, put it, well, like they don't want any humor in these movies. They want it. They want. They they believe that they they want the anti Marvel is what they want. Yes, know, like, and what they want is and what they want is is by you know usually by their own words is sort of like uh, the the DC movies are supposed to be for adults. That uh, uh, so like Shazam for example they they did their fan cut of Shazam where they removed all the jokes and uh, and keyed it down so that was basically like black and white that's a thing that exists i have i have not heard that i didn't know it is that. a thing that exists there's the the fan cut of shazam that made it look like a Zack snyder movie and um and removed all the jokes and well, they were you better uh, change very because shazam is way too fun of a name because it could it could have just been called like huh, in the movie i don't know what you would entitle it because shazam is way more fun than anything snyder could have come up with as a name for a movie and that's I mean. I, I actually really like Shazam. I had a good time with that movie. Um, actually, I've had a good, more or less, had a good time with most of the DC uh, movies. Really, uh, yeah. I, I'm also in a minority that didn't hate Batman versus Superman. I think there's some great ideas in that movie, but uh, they're they're hidden deep inside of it. But they're they're there. Um, you just gotta get through the the jar full of piss before you get to the good ideas in that movie, right? That's where you're. Yeah, at. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, somewhere in there is is Granny's peach tea, and uh, you know, um, but um, yeah, but I mean, so I mean, it seems to be the idea that for the Snyder Cut fans is that the idea is that these are supposed to be adult, and for them, adult means no jokes. It means no color. It means, uh, you know, uh, it means grim and intense um, because that seems to just be the way they think. So it seems to be men around, predominantly men. I don't think I've seen any women. There's also a, a, an alarming amount of um, uh, overlap uh, with uh, Comicsgate, uh, which if you're yeah. if you're not familiar with Comicsgate. Um, I envy you. Well, just, but, I, uh, I, give, I am. Yeah. No, give, yeah. If you, if you can, can you give like a brief, like summary, just in case if somebody is not familiar with comics gate is so that comics, way. comics gate is, a is ostensibly their hate group. Um, and, um, what they, they attack any attempt at diversity in comics claiming that, um, the forced diversity is, is their words, forced diversity is uh is damaging comics um it's uh, and making comics what what it really boils down to is it's a bunch of white men uh older white men who are mad that comic books aren't being made exclusively for them any longer yeah and so they they really hate characters like say ms marvel who is muslim um you know they they hate uh god forbid women you know, like God forbid, there's a uh, God forbid Carol Danvers becomes Captain Marvel. Yeah, like people are going to be, they're going to be a little upset then about the one gay Captain America that's coming too. You know, like, here's, the, here's yeah. the thing that I don't get about Comic Gate. The thing, like, okay, so a, I think I've I've mentioned this on previous shows. Like, one of the things that annoys me is particularly people who either grew up on sci-fi or comics or whatever. Like they're like, I love Star Trek, and you're like, great, let's make it diverse, and they're like, no, I don't know. Like, right. these are the ideas that were always there. They like, were always there. Like, yeah. how how did you miss this? How did you not get 
you know, oh, X-Men's my favorite comic. Well, you know what it's about, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't understand, like, that disconnect there. But also... I think, yeah, I think Eric Larson actually, like, somebody, one of them tried to say, like, this is a new thing. Like, the, the diversity in comics is a new thing. And Eric Larson kind of said, like, here's a Stan Lee, Jack Kirby panel of um, the thing. Uh, it's, it's the Black Panther is noticing a, a colored-only water fountain. And the thing runs up and smashes it. And when Black Panther says, uh, thank you, Mr. Grimm, and he says, I didn't do it for you. Uh, and I'm, he was like, that's 1963, guys. Um, you know, Stanley and Jack Kirby knew what they were talking about. They were talking about diversity at a time where they weren't really allowed to talk about diversity. Um, and, Jack, but Jack yeah, Kirby, I'm sorry. Man, man no, that, no, like, I he just, got a letter. He got a letter from some people like bitching about something that were like Nazis. Is like, fine, I'll go downstairs and meet them. Like Jack Kirby was not yeah. afraid to punch a fucking Nazi no matter what. So yes, right. Yeah. I I just I I I as somebody who grew up reading comics, and I don't know if your guys' experiences like this as well, but like I would talk to people about comics and try to get them interested in it, like. I'm like, these are great stories. You guys got to check these out. And I would preach to everyone. And it's so weird to me that they're like, well, we got to keep this for us. Like, I don't understand yeah. that mentality. Well, I, think I, even, I think I told you, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm stepping on you. Uh, whenever we covered um, the Chris Claremont, uh, God Loves, Man Kills, X-Men graphic mm -hmm. novel, that was a, a revelation to me at the time reading it. And the person that gave that to me, um, now in my life, like now I now know them and they're very closed off and like, they have like these social barriers that I'm like, you introduced me to Spider-Man, you introduced me to X-Men. Like how, like, how can we not have this conversation anymore? And he, and he gave me God loves man kills, which is like the, like the biggest story of like intolerance, not the biggest story of intolerance, but like when it came out, right? Like yeah. you, you have, what was it? Uh, the president that looks like Mike Pence pointing a nightcrawler. Yeah. Yelling at him, right? um, <laughs> I love like, that. Meme. <laughs> right? yeah. uh, but it's like, like, yeah, like there's that, the, 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 there is that, that through path of like, Oh, there's differences here. There's diversity here. And I mean, um, yeah, I it just, yeah. When you talk about comics gate, like I, I, I know a little bit about it. I tend to not, not that I'm not aware of it, but it's just like, it's one of those things. It's like, that's just a black hole. And if you start like getting into it, you get into some really just like bad stuff that, you know, I've seen enough bad stuff. I don't need more to already affirm my position of like, I don't want that. I don't like that. So I've not dug deep into it because I know it's all bullshit. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, the last thing that I'll say too is, is that, uh, um, you know, comics haven't always been great at diversity. Like we've no. tried, and like are you talking you know, like, like you're talking like a uh, Fing Fang Foom and the Mandarin? Is that what <laughs> yes? <laughs> what? No, oh. uh, comics have had you know not always the greatest uh, approach to diversity. They've tried, you know, and and uh, I don't know. I I just I for a, a medium that I love that isn't. <laughs> it is always being talked about as being in its death throes. Like as long as I've been reading comics, it seems like somebody's always telling me that like, you know, comics have like five years left and then they're done. So like, it's weird that like, there's a group of people who are like, we don't want to make this, you know, more diverse and get more readers and have more things that people can read. Like I, I, I do remember, and I'm just going to point out right, right at the, the get go here. I was fucking wrong when I say this. So like, I remember when they were doing the story about the first Captain America and they're like, oh, you know, um, it's it's a black character who they would have 
uh, tried the sermon before giving it to Steve Rogers. Yeah. And I remember being like, oh, you know, I don't know if I, I'm interested in that because I, I, I felt like I felt like whenever they would introduce a black character in another character's costume, it always felt like that person was then or that character was then denigrated to being the token version of that character. Okay. Like with John Stewart for a very long time, people referred to him as the black green lantern. And it's like, right. no, he's John Stewart, the green lantern. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, I don't know if they should do that. And then along comes along miles Morales. And I'm like, Nope, I'm completely wrong. Like this. Uh, yes. Like it was never like, Oh, it shouldn't be a thing. I just, it was always like, Oh, they should create a new character using that same thing. And you know, I, I can't imagine a world now where we don't get into the Spider-Verse or Miles Morales comics. And, like, it's just weird that somebody would fight against that is, is all. Or and, how excited we're going to be whenever, uh, like, in the, the Falcon Winter Soldier stuff where Falcon actually gets the Captain America shield, right, and takes the mantle. Like, we know it's going to happen in the, in the course of the TV show, right? But, like, that's the exciting thing. Yeah, so you're right. Like, they, we've had to kind of be drug along to be like, no, 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 no. This can be everybody, right? And I, this isn't yeah. where we wanted to go with, like, necessarily with this, but uh, there's that toxic, like, I like that Snyder's like, I don't know about toxic fandom. A lot of people donated to charity. It's like, yeah, did you think that maybe there were some people that donated that out of spite just to be like, oh, no, no, we're not hateful pieces of shit. Like, that's my hot take. I think that, uh, like, there was this whole thing of, like, people felt owed, and this is this came out of people feeling like they were owed something whenever they weren't. Um, but this kind of relates back to um, Steve and I last week talked about uh, the two different versions of Superman 2, the Lester theatrical version and the Donner cut. And yeah. the whole thing there was that a majority of the second movie had been shot, and then Lester's like, nope, I want to make it dumb as all get out. I'm going to add other stuff. Um, I, you know, I think this is kind of a similar situation in the sense that there was a lot of stuff done in principle, and Snyder's like, no, 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 I want to put out my version, which I think... I think the difference here is that Donner kind of washed his hands of him and was like, all right, the studio's going to do this. I'm upset. My heart's broken. And then the studio came along and said like 20 years, 20, 30, 40 years later was like, Hey, we can do this. And he's like, okay, fine. I'll revisit it. I feel like Snyder had a chip on his shoulder because this movie came out four years ago without his control and it didn't do well. So he blames them versus his initial concept. And I think there's a big difference there because the bones are the same. And if people are saying this is a superior version of this film, fine. But does that make it a good movie? I, I, I think that's where I'm falling on that. That's my question. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, uh, well, I mean, so, McNeil, uh, uh, Steve, respond right now. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, I posted, um, and it wasn't like in a direct post, but I posted on, no, it was a direct post. I, I said basically that, you know, my version of watching the Snyder Cut, like, I was tired and felt like I'd been beaten up. Um, and I, that's kind of how I felt by the end of it. And with that in mind, you know, I, I pointed out, I'm like, you know, is it a better movie? Maybe. But I don't know if it's necessary. I don't know that there's... There's nothing that tells me that this is a far more compelling version of the movie than what was in the theatrical. We'll put it that way. So I, I'll put this to you, Nathaniel. You you came out a lot more after your uh, like twelve to thirty seven hour like trek through the DCEU. You came out a lot more hopeful, and you said this at the beginning of the episode. 
with this. I think you kind of came in with some hesitation and you came out the other end with some positives. And, and um, I think we should talk about some positives. There's some other nitpicks here I want to get into because I just have jokes written out and I got to tell because that's me. I got to make my jokes. But yeah. um, And then we'll talk about the nightmare sequence because we cannot end this episode without talking about that, whatever the hell that was. Um, yeah. But positives. Give me some positives here uh, over this four-hour trek through whatever this was. Uh, the flash was better. Okay, cool. Steve, now positives. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is a positive actually that I got from the, the, uh, the, the theatrical and actually it's a, oddly enough, it's, it's the same good thing that I'm seeing was both in Snyder's cut in, in Whedon's. Um, I want a movie with Ben Affleck as Batman and Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, like them as a couple. Like I, I think they have great chemistry. I think that, uh, you know, they could do something really fun with that. And I even mentioned this on the, um, on our first episode covering this, uh, when I first joined the show, but like there's an episode of justice league, um, uh, JLU, uh, justice league unlimited, which is an animated series where Batman and, and wonder woman are considering having a, a relationship. And the, there's a sillier conceit to the episode because Wonder Woman gets turned into a pig. But the whole episode is about <laughs> Batman and his relationship with, with Wonder Woman and him trying to get her turned back I, into... I, I think a missed a, opportunity for this film. Like, honestly, that could well, be no, great, so. I, just, <laughs> I think that there's a precedent there that I, you could have a really fun dynamic with those two characters in a movie and it still be a, a Zack Snyder-y DC movie. I, I like, need a Gal Pigdo movie those now. Two That's what I need. In like a, yeah. a wild romance while being these two characters. And I think it would be really fun. That's... Well, that's why you say that because they leaned in. They leaned into the the part of that like their kind of relationship in the Whedon cut, right? And then this one, they just touch a mouse together, and it's like, oh, you know, whatever. But um, so yeah, so with that, I would get, agree with that. And with Nathaniel, we're talking about the so Flash. Basically, you just took away my point. You're like, yeah, they didn't do it in both cuts, Steve. No, 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 no. I, t- I, I agree well, with that's you. That's fine. No, I Steve, just... I did. I took no, no. You're right. I'm just saying that they leaned into it more in the Whedon one, which I, I don't disagree with you. That was probably a good call. I'm not taking your point away. Like, please. No, no. I mean, it's, I'm it's sitting fine. on the last of truth, which did not happen in this four hour version of the film. And I'm telling you the truth. Um, so no, I, I get it. I just, I was, I was trying to come up with a positive and like, basically you're like, yeah, I don't know if it's that much of a positive. Well, no, no, it is a positive. I was getting, like, I'm just stating that I think Whedon saw that as something to explore and he went a little bit more with it. So I think that's a good thing. I think the flash does come out better here. It pisses me off that there's the bit at the, and, and um, was it the, when they're the underwater with a night crawler, wherever um, the flash goes above ground and we actually make him, he's a more, he's neurotic and comedic, but he's not a basket case that Whedon paints him out to be where he's like, just yeah. save one, whatever. Um, and he, there's a bit where he's above ground and uh, there's this debris falling and we actually get a moment of the flash operating in real time. Like one of the few moments we see him actually taking action other than running in a circle where he, it's like this quick, like lightning flashes of him taking out all the debris. That's awesome. Why yeah. wasn't that in the, the cut of the movie? Because that shows you the power of the flash. And then even then he makes a mistake and cyborg saves his ass. And then he's like, Cyborg's like, you need to go back downstairs. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, he says something like, uh, what was it, alien, uh, like sword, uh, and uh, was it something like, and sword lady. And he's like, he does like a brief recap and goes right back into the battle. That was great. That didn't yeah. need to be cut. I thought that gave him a hero moment without having a hot dog involved. And I thought that was wonderful. 
Uh, yeah, and I, I really liked. Um, uh, in fact, uh, the one of the one of the few moments of the movie that's really stuck with me is the uh, after he's been injured in the, at the end in the the third act. He's been injured, and he's okay. We have the heel berry, and he uh, he realizes they've lost, and uh, he has to move. He has to. I, I got to break the rule. I got to break the rule. I got to go faster than the speed of light, and um, he starts to run, and he has that wonderful little. It, it's one of the very few points where the slow motion actually is effective, and it's one of the very few moments that I think that the character has shown any real sense of maturity. Where it's him realizing it's all or nothing. This is this is coming down to me, and um, I actually thought he was going to die. Uh, the way the scene is set up made me think that I was like, "Are they going to kill this guy off here?" But I think they're going to make a movie about him. I think, but uh, I really thought that it was uh, it was going to be like uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, like he was going to give his life. Um, but he has that great thing of like, you know, dad, dad, if you can hear me or whatever, you know, I was one of the best, one of the best of the best. You know, um, I thought it was a great moment, and um, and it made me not hate Ezra Miller as Flash because in Whedon Scott, I hated him every minute. Um, in fact, he was one of the things about that version that I didn't like. Um, was I didn't like Ezra Miller as Flash in in the uh, in the theatrical. Uh, that's fair. So um, so I'm gonna, I'm going to pivot to you, Steve, with uh, Superman. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, uh, with uh, with this, like it was restored where Superman's like, kind of like <sighs> super serial. Like, how did you feel that he just showed up just to be a hammer versus the, in the Whedon version, he shows up to uh, Russia where there's a family living there inexplicably that was written by Whedon to show like some danger there. Uh, and everything's going down at one point. Uh, Su- Superman was like, Oh, they're civilians. I got to go help them. And he does that and he comes back to save the day. And this one, he is just a sledgehammer. I like, where, where do you f- fall with that with him and the black suit and all that stuff? Wow. Um, we pivoted from, let's talk about positive things. Oh, sorry. That's to, me. I'm sorry. But no, no, I, I, no, I'm I just, I, I, yeah. I, I don't have anything positive to say, unfortunately. Okay. Um, then I take back that My statement. I will run past the speed of light and then we can reset this. It's fine. No. So, no, I mean, okay. So the thing is, is that, uh, I, I've read a bunch of comics. I've, I've read flash comics. I've, uh, watched, uh, both the 1990 television show and the CW show. Yeah. I'm not unfamiliar with the concepts of the speed force and, uh, what Barry can do. I didn't immediately get that he was turning back time. And I'm wondering if people, the average viewer got that. Cause you're like, he's running fast, but okay. So running fast now turns back time. It's not really explicitly explained. And it took me like a good solid minute of that sequence to realize what was happening. Um, with that in mind though, going back to Superman, one of my notes here is, is that this is my third movie with Superman in it. I don't care about his return, and I should. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have any sort of emotional, like, yes, Superman's back. I, I never have that moment, unfortunately. And maybe some of that's baked into the fact that I know he's going to come back. Like, maybe some of that is that uh, I have that knowledge, so I'm unable to get to that place. But I'm never at a point where I feel like, <laughs> an uh, unfair comparison, but I'm just going to say, like, when uh, Captain America uh, catches Mjolnir in Endgame, 
That's mm-hmm. a crowd-pleasing moment. I feel like Superman showing up should be a crowd-pleasing moment. It should be like, yes. And I never get there with this. And uh, the note that I wanted to make about the black suit is the that, one, I think it's interesting that, you know, that's the suit that Superman chooses from all the other suits that he has on his ship, apparently. Mm-hmm. And we see the movie ending with him doing the famous ripping open the shirt. Um, to and it's still the black suit. It's, yeah. yeah, it's still the black suit. <laughs> However, once we cut to the nightmare sequence, apparently when Superman's evil, he goes back to his lighter colors. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, well, that's that's a really weird contrast. And, you know, I, I, I can take things for, like, face value in the sense of, like, whenever there's a, a comic book reference in a movie where I'm like, oh, it doesn't really have any importance to the plot. But I like the fact that, you know, they included this minor detail. I can appreciate those things. I, I, I'm not saying that I don't appreciate the, the black suit, but, like, part of the reason Superman's wearing the black suit in the comics when he returns is, is that it's supposed to help him um, absorb more solar energy and get him back to his power levels. Here it serves no purpose other than like Zack Snyder being like, I want to put him in black. I want my Batman or I want my Superman to be Batman. So, yeah, I like the idea yeah. that it's like, no, but both of your Robin Hood dads told you it's okay. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. They are both. They both played Robin Hood. Yeah. They're like, hey, oh my God. you're both Robin Hood. It's cool. Just wear black. It's fine. People dig it. It's fine. Whatever. Right. They they could have scored that with the Brian Adams song. It would have been amazing. <laughs> like, like what, if, what if the flash sequence where he runs through time? What if they had share playing like that would have been the greatest like mic drop of like hearing share singing. If I could turn back time of him running backwards. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been like the most like James Gunn, like amazing, which I should also point out. Everybody's like, oh, gritty, blah, 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 blah. We're going to get James Gunn Suicide Squad and people are going to eat that shit up because it's going to people are going to die. It's going to be crazy, but it's going to be fun. Right. And yeah. people are going to hand wave that away because Gunn can do seriousness and have heart and have fun and make dick jokes or whatever he's going to do. But for whatever reason. Snyder's like unassailable, right? But yeah, anyway. Yeah. Um, so, sorry, I, we, we were talking about positives, and I, I completely made Steve talk about a negative. I'm sorry, that was me. <laughs> that was bad planning, almost like this movie. Um, so uh, let's like I, this. There's things I do, like I said, the cyborg getting more of a story. I appreciate. Yeah. Maybe that could have been handled better. Steppenwolf getting more, like more there is great. Um, I do like the idea that every time he tries to talk to dark side, he keeps running into his secretary and he has to schedule an appointment. He's like, no, 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 I want to talk to him. He's like, no, 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 he's scheduled. He's full. You got to get 50,000 planets before he'll talk to you. And then when he eventually gets lunch with dark side, like he fails. Like, I don't like, I just like the idea. that this guy just trying to get like time with his boss. Um, mm. but anyway, what, what did you guys think about the visuals of whether it be apocalypse, dark side, Desaad, Steppenwolf, where did you guys fall with that? I'm just I, I like the molten slab, like, like the, like the portal summoning, whatever it was like the, um, the gateway of them talking to Desaad and dark side. I thought that was cool. I thought that was a cool visual. Okay. How about uh, I didn't care for them. Um, I actually thought Steppenwolf looked better in the theatrical. Um, he uh, and Darkseid. I, I, my statement on social media, I think, was more or less: I was like, so uh, Snyder made the decision to make them all look like Xbox villains. Um, <laughs> like they all, uh, to me, they all look like um, uh, video game characters, and uh, I, I 
it didn't do anything for me. So I I I, I didn't uh, come out quite at, at that same uh, response. I hadn't considered them being video game characters, but that's that's pretty accurate. My thought was is that, and it's again it's an unfair comparison, but like I, I look at something like say. You know, Thor Ragnarok, which has all this beautiful Kirby-esque design in it. And if, if anybody knows anything about Darkseid and, and Fourth World and that stuff, they know that that's all Jack Kirby creations. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, I would have loved to have seen a little bit more Kirby in, you know, characters that we know were designed by him. And them not be so... Well, it's Zack Snyder, so I have to put my stamp on it. I have to make it be a Zack Snyder thing, and I, I just, I wish there would have been a little bit more love to that, as opposed to, like, you can throw in the anti-life equation, which I guarantee you, there's the average viewer has got to be still shaking their head about what that is. Yeah. Um, you can throw those things in, sure, fine, but like, why can't we have just, you know? A little bit more love for, I guess, a more comic accurate, or not even comic ac- accurate, but something with more of a nod to the, the classic look of those characters. Like, Desaad, I think, was probably the most disappointing to me, because I'm like, granted, I understand that Desaad's not the most interesting visually character, but, like, I if you'd have told me that that was Desaad, I would have not known it by looking at the design. Like it, it, yeah. it, it looked like one of, um, what was the name of uh, Thanos' uh, henchman? Um, the Black... Uh Oh, what were they called? Uh, the ones that were in the movies. The black, were, the black Order. The Black Order. Yeah, that's what they yeah. look like. Another, there's another member of the Black Order, right? So, yeah, but I, I did, I just like, I did like the whole thing of him, a Steppenwolf talking like through, like I don't know, whatever that setup was of that metal slab in uh, Russia, like with the molten look. I thought that was kind of cool. But the thing you're right, that that is a cutscene from Gears of War '87 or whatever. That's fine. Um, what did you guys think about whatever we got a uh, cyborg uh, logging into? Um, I, I wrote in my notes that Superman's ship, I'm calling it the Super Bowl because like it's just open and people can be there. Um, but when he plugs in and suddenly he gets like the, like this, like uh, days of future past thing going on. It's like, did we need that? Did we need the wonder woman barbecue uh, Aquaman being like, like captain stabbing and then Superman is super mad. Did we need all that? Did we need Cincinnati being destroyed? And all of that, which that's that's a I don't think I video, but like the hall uh, hall of justice is based upon a, a building in Cincinnati. Um, like, do we need all that? Wait, I don't think we needed all that. That that, that seems superfluous. Uh, and I'm not even sure why it's there. It's another thing that <laughs> yeah. it's another thing that like uh, uh, first of all, why did the Kryptonian ship show him that? Can the Kryptonian ship see the future? Because if it could, it it sucked. Uh, it didn't tell <laughs> Superman that he was going to die. Um, that would have been helpful information. It told Gene Hackman, yeah, but not uh, him. You know, um, although technically, I guess it's not Superman. Well, yeah, but it is Superman's ship. Wait, which ship is it? Is it the? Was it the? Was it the? Was that Kryptonian Zod's ship? ship? Was that Zod ship Zod. that showed up? It was Zod ship, right? Like, in Batman, yeah. in Batman versus Superman, I'm almost certain it was Zod ship. Yeah, yeah but this said, but then all of Superman's costumes are in it. <laughs> <laughs> I also, what's up with that liquid in the middle there, uh, in the middle of the room? Because whatever it is, it, it, it lets it, photos hang out for like 87 minutes for sinking. And it, amniotic, it, yeah, the amniotic chamber. That's um, what's inside of a gusher. That's what's inside. <laughs> 
it was like whatever it was was gross and it's just like is this like is this like like because we in in the what was it the the daughter cut of superman 2 uh, uh miss Tasma- Tasmacher, with Tasmacher, whatever her name is Tasmaster Tasmacher right. was like trying to find the bathroom is that like do we find the bathroom in the superman ship is that where we're at <laughs> uh, uh, yeah like and, uh, that that photo took forever to sink and it's like also what what it bothered me in the theatrical version too. I'm like, you know, Arthur, can you just take the picture off of him? Like <laughs> you dumped him, you dumped him in the water with the picture uh, on him. Like what? <laughs> it's just it's it's a picture he was buried with. It probably has some significance, Arthur. I, I know you don't really care about anything, but yeah, just toss him in there with the picture of his dad. Yeah, that was, um, that was the whole thing was weird. Where it's like, oh, and then Cyborg has a moment of doubt. It's like, nah, we're past that. Can we just? Can we get to the cube bit? That's fine. And can I also mention during the Superman resurrection fight, excuse me, um, there were changes there. Just like it was longer in this cut. Um, there's comic relief in the Whedon cut of Batman being hit. And he's like, nah, I'm good. He tries to get up and he can't get up. Fine. Whatever. Right. Um, and in this version, there's a bit of Aquaman and flash being driven against steps. Right. And the flash goes to apologize to Aquaman and Momoa just points one finger at him with like basically being like, don't it's the same joke. I don't understand why they couldn't have kept that because they're both funny. And it's the same joke of like, we got the shit kicked out of this because Superman, I don't understand why that happened. Uh, yeah, the, the, I think that the, the joke is the same. I, I think probably the reason why it was changed is because they didn't want it to be Batman. Um, I, one of the things I noticed, uh, in this version versus, uh, the theatrical version is in the theatrical version, Batman's funny. Um, he has a couple of jokes, um, in this version, none whatsoever. Well, also he brings Lois to the memorial site, which I think is a Batman move. It's much, it's much smarter than what happened. Yeah. Versus us establishing that all Lois does is not work and talks to aliens and then brings coffee to a cop. (laughs) Yeah. Like, so I don't know. I, I was oddly enough, I was waiting for that cop to be killed because it was played by the actor who uh, played Jimmy Olsen in the Donner films. <laughs> so I was just assuming that, like, you know, it was Jimmy Olsen, so he would probably have to die. He would get, yeah, he would get thrown but, off a but, building but into Niagara Falls. That's what would happen to him, right? So anyway. Sorry, go ahead. One of my favorite, one of my favorite bits, of course, in Batman vs Superman was the the uh, wonderful decision to just have Jimmy Olsen get shot in the face within the first. Ten minutes of the film. <laughs> <laughs> like Superman, Superman's uh, little buddy is uh, is murdered by terrorists. And, uh, uh, but yeah, yeah, uh, I it, that's one of the things that in the theatrical version made more sense to me. The entire the entire bringing Superman back stuff I thought landed better in the theatrical. Um, the conversation that they have uh, about bringing him back to me makes more sense than this version where they're just sort of like, they're all on board pretty much immediately to bring Superman back in this version. Um, whereas in the other one, they, they talk about whether or not it's a good idea or not. Um, you know, like when we need him, well, and, ba- and, and it, it plays more to the idea of Batman feeling guilty. Batman feels like I killed him. Yeah. In this movie, there's none of that. Didn't like, in the Whedon one? Doesn't the Flash make two separate references to Pet Cemetery? Is that the yes. whole thing? Is like, oh, this is some Pet Cemetery stuff going on. And this, it's like, yeah. And also, yeah. Speaking to that, where uh, you know Bruce felt guilty. Uh, Steve, I'll put this to you because you're, you're a huge Batman fan. Um, uh, how do you feel like Batman being the man of faith in this movie? That feels weird that- to me. 
that was actually something that I was just thinking about when we were talking about, uh, you know, him uh, bringing Lois Lane to the scene in theatrical, because I think that that's a much smarter idea. And I think it actually um, gives both her motivation to be in the scene. And it's uh, it's the one thing that would be like, oh, this is the thing that will snap Clark out of it if, if he is like he is in the film uh, going out of control. But uh, um, I actually liked the idea of Batman being like, faith, Alfred, I have faith. And I I prefer that to like, you know, I've got to make him bleed or whatever the line is from (laughs) Batman v Superman. Um, You know, because he spends so much of that movie being like, even if there's a 1% chance that he's, you know, not good that, you know, I have to stop it right here now while we can. And um, I actually like that. I do say I will say that I don't know if the movie gives me much motivation for Batman's faith, Um, but I I like that. I I actually I think that and again, this can go all the way back to 1986's Dark Knight Returns. But I feel like there seems to be this uh, weird um edict that like people were like well batman can never just be happy or smile or like no he's not always go lucky happy but like he's a human being he's gonna have moments where he'll make a joke or will uh smile or you know uh find uh, you know humor in a situation or have a conversation with alfred that's humorous i i don't like the fact that it's like he's got to be dark and sad all the time, yeah. every movie. Like I'm just actually impressed that Zack Snyder did not find a way to bring in a, a murder sequence of Batman's parents in this film. Like I was really believing that he was going to be like, by the way, I just want to remind people again that Batman's parents are dead. I'm surprised in this four hour runtime that didn't happen again. Like that's a, yeah. Thanks. And it's thanks. actually, this is something I wanted to bring up when we were talking about cyborg earlier um, in terms of, of uh, uh, differences between the theatrical and this version um, did I? Do we need Cyborg to lose his dad? In this, <laughs> you mean, like you mean actor Joe Morton, who was uh, uh, he was Miles Dyson in Terminator Two, in which he realized that he was inadvertently responsible for creating a robot that might be the fate of the world, and leaves himself in a lab in which it blow. He sacrifices himself. You mean that guy that got yeah. Terminator Two again in this movie? Is that who you're talking about? That that's guy. who I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, but but that's the thing is to your point where I'm like, why is it that tragedy is necessary? Um, that uh, I was like, I actually like the idea of uh, that that in the theatrical version. Again, Cyborg's not given a lot to do in the theatrical version. But at the end of the movie, uh, Miles is uh, uh, Silas Stone is still alive. Yeah, and it's the idea that he actually is going to repair his relationship with his father. In, yeah. in at the end of that theatrical version, and that he's going to become a better cyborg as a result of it. His, he's going to become a list because Silas is going to help him. In this version, it's like, well, Silas dies for some vague uh, concept of marking marking the box yeah, because the, now it's really hot. There was a whole. Um, I saw that again while watching this, kind of like through like fast forwarding. There's a bit where. They superheated a, pi- a, a piss. Uh, they superheated a piss on the Superman yeah. ship. That's not true. A piece of uh, a metal that it got like 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 so hot that it was like off the charts. That I'm like, oh okay. I didn't think about it the first time through. Yeah. That's the payoff, and it's like, really? That's where we're at with this? Like, anyway, it's like, yeah. oh, this well, guy's gonna it's kill the same me. Thing, like uh, yeah. when Stephen was talking about flash turning back time at the end, they they established it in the amniotic chamber scene that uh, Flash could turn back time. 
somewhat. And he said that time does weird stuff. Uh, but again, it's it's because these scenes are so far apart um, that we don't remember by the time it comes up again that um, it, that Snyder just seems to want to introduce a piece of information and then not mention it for three hours, uh, yeah. which is really bizarre. But I, I but. I still feel like it's just weird that Cyborg's dad dies because uh, Superman, I mean, like, do we, uh, well, I mean, Martha may very well be dead now, Martha again, because uh, it's just Martian Manhunter now. Um, yes. uh, Martian Manhunter felt, felt perfectly comfortable uh, having a very private conversation with Lois Lane in the guise of Martha. So I bet he Marsh, probably killed it's her. It's Martian Mom Hunter. That's the new name. Yeah. <laughs> he probably, uh, he probably killed her. Um, <laughs> And uh, he clearly has no no uh, boundaries. So, uh, but anyway, uh, so Superman, I guess, has one one living parent. Batman's parents are both dead. Wonder Woman has a. Uh, I, I guess Zeus is dead. I don't know. Did they ever say if Zeus is still alive? But um, and uh, or was Zeus her father? Or was Ares her father? I don't even remember. No, Ares that. wasn't her father. I don't think so. But I like that they brought that guy back, mustache and all, for one second in this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, but Batman's parents both dead. Flash has a dead mom, uh, and I was like, Cyborg already had one dead parent. Did we need to have another dead parent to give him? Uh, why is it that murdering parents gives these people motivation? Um, does tragedy necessarily breed heroism? Uh, it, it's just such a weird choice to do that. The I, I like the idea that at the end of the film, at least that, that Cyborg had some sort of normality. Uh, and this movie, it's like, nope, he needs to be just as miserable as everybody else, I guess. Mm. And, uh, and, and killing his father for, and again, for a reason that I'm not sure really needed to happen. They're like, Silas sacrificed himself to mark the, mark the box, but he could have marked the box without, without dying. He could have put like, like a, like a smiley face sticker on it or something. Right. We could have found yeah, it later. I mean, like a, a tracking device, like just, put, just put a GPS on there. I don't Steve, know. Steve, you know? I'll put this to you. So in um, Superman returns, when Brandon Routh goes up into space and listens to everything going on and then chooses yeah. where to go, there's a bit of Superman doing this. Wouldn't he have heard Russia being loud as fuck with everything going on with the mother boxes and run to that? You would think, but also, does, how aware is he of everything that's going on at this point? Like, I, I, I know that he talks to Alfred. I know that uh, he has the reunion with, with Lois. Um, but is it just that he... I'm trying to remember now, because uh, it was a very long movie. Does mm-hmm. Is there ever discussion that happens in which um, somebody explains to him what the hell's going on? I, I, I think it, it happens uh, It happens off screen because he goes and talks to Alfred. And I think the idea was like Alfred says, like, you know, let's just hope that you're in time. And then, like, it cuts to other stuff. So I think it's supposed to be happening off screen. Like, Alfred tells him. <laughs> he's like that buddy that shows up late to the bar at 2 a.m. And then everybody else already to fight. He's like, I don't know what's going on, but I trust my friends. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to fight these people. It's fine. Whatever. Yeah, that just seems a little weird to me. So. I'm, okay, before we get to the nightmare sequence, which we're going to talk about here in a minute, I, I I feel like I unfairly put Steve on the spot to say something positive that I took the rug out from under him and asked about something negative. So no. give me like give, <laughs> give me uh, hey I was fast I, I ran ahead of the speed of, of light and did it to you so I apologize. Um, give me some positives about this film this four hour um, thing that we watched. 
So I guess one of the positives is is that uh, I really did love that Themyscira scene. Like, even though we don't need, you know, the vault falling into the ocean and all that, I, I did really love that sequence. I thought it was really well done, and I thought it was nice to see uh, both the Amazons and Hippolyta have an active role in the movie, which is actually one of the, the things that I... Um, it wasn't like a huge problem, but it was one of my uh, issues with uh, Wonder Woman 84 is that they're literally just in the opening. And for a movie that is, I think, two and a half hours, um, we never go back to them or have mm-hmm. any sort of uh, interaction with them again. So I, I was I loved seeing them uh, be the ass kickers that they are. I loved seeing um, it, it gave certainly a, a lot of weight to what is happening. Um Although, admittedly, at first, I was kind of confused as to, like, you know, why are they just, you know, guarding this thing for 4,000 years? And, you know, there's, I don't know. I, 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 I'm I going into a negative, so never mind. No, no, no. Uh, but, like, did I, you find it interesting that, that Steppenwolf called out um, Diana specifically and was like, oh, you're an Amazon. Like, he kept, like, digging her, like, personally every time they encountered each other, which was very specific. I thought that was interesting that he was aware of what Amazonians are, right? And then he was like, I was already there. I killed everybody there. And he's like, you know, um, like my my uh, my boss daddy was like on Earth earlier during the Lord of the Rings and everybody fought back against him. But I know you guys, you know, like I thought that he, he was making it personal, which I thought was a little different change from the theatrical. And I thought that was kind of I, – I, I, I thought it was interesting. Like I liked that he was trying to like get her – to emotionally rise to him because if you get emotional, you'll make mistakes. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. And it was something that, yeah, it was something that the theatrical didn't do. And then, but oddly enough, that it should have probably been in that version because it did establish that he was there instead of dark side, uh, in, in the past. Yeah. Um, and, uh, that he failed, which is also, again, pointed out in this version that he failed at some point. Darkseid's mad at him. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 bizarre. But, yeah, uh, it's weird what's in – somehow if you could like, – and I'm sure someone out there is already doing it of uh, cramming together a supercut of these – you know, taking the right things from both of these versions. You could make a really good movie, I think. But um, – well, yeah, it's it it is it's interesting that it's there um, in this version and not the theatrical version. Also, because the theatrical version gives Wonder Woman more to do. Yeah. Um, and in this version, she's sort of sidelined. Um, she's an exposition it, dump. She just talks about everything that's going on. And, and also, when they yeah. give her moments to kick ass, I I love Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman. Um, I don't yeah. know if she'd be the one to cut the head off the guy. I feel like she'd always be like, "No, we kicked your ass." Now, no. That felt a little but, bit much, but whatever. I mean, it's Zack Snyder. Heads heads will roll, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. But, all right. So, all right, Steve, I know I've asked you like three times about positivity. Now, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna flip the script. Tell me about your thoughts of this epilogue and the new footage shot that has plenty here to dig into. I, I know we're running a little, little long. <laughs> Snyder would wink and nod. Steve. Mm. Where are we at with this epilogue? What do you feel about this added stuff that was shot specifically t- to appease the fans? So my, my first question is, is was the entire epilogue shot um, as an afterthought, or were there 
things that he filmed back in 2016 or whatever it was that he was filming that were part of that epilogue. Like I, I think was the entire nightmare sequence was that. I think all holy? the nightmare stuff is new. I think all the nightmare sequence is new. Okay. Um, it, it, it seems weird to, um, one tease something that, you know, is never going to come. And I mean, maybe, maybe the only reason that you do that is because you want to will it into existence. I, I can take the, the, um, stance though, um, with, uh, the Donner cut where they're like, Hey, you know, you didn't get to film a different ending. So we're just going to use this ending. So I, I guess I can understand it from that point of view of like, oh, this is what I'd always intended it to be. But it's also like I'm going to include a half hour um, epilogue to allude to things that we know are never going to come to pass. Um, I also I, I, I get that, uh, you know, Snyder wanted to play with the Joker. Um, I, I, I and again, it's it's a little reminiscent of, um, you know, the Dark Knight Joker. Uh, but whenever the Joker would, like, talk, I would just, in my brain, I kept thinking, who ate all the raspberry jam? Joker, was it you? <laughs> it's just, you know, my, all over My fresh baked and... pie. Why would you take that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I guess I'm glad that it wasn't, um, you know, uh, ICP Joker from Suicide Squad. So he didn't have the grill. He didn't have the tattoos. Uh but I still, I, I don't know what the point of it was. Yeah, um, I don't know. The only thing I felt like, yeah, go ahead, I please. felt like it was, I felt like the reason for the Joker in particular was, um, it had been, I think it had been a, a fan theory because in Batman versus Superman, there is the scene where he sees the Robin costume and it, and, uh, the jokes on you, Batman was written across it. I think people, there was a fan theory for a while that the Joker that we saw in suicide squad, Jared Leto was formerly Robin. Um, there was also a fan theory, of course, that was that Joker had killed Robin at some point. So I think that that I think that was more or less the point was for joke for them to to outright state Joker had killed Robin, which I don't know why you needed a whole scene to do that, but okay. Um, well, and like, as far as it's like also, not, they're in this hellscape of like, oh no, he's going to see us now. Let's just have a pissing contest while we're out in the open. How about that? Ugh. It's like, oh no, we're above ground. Uh, the the powers that be are gonna find us. It's like, yeah, now I need to talk to this like you know just the psychopath on a car for an extended period of time when we should be underground looking for cover. That felt weird to me. Like uh, of all the and things it, that are weird, there that felt weird to me too. And they needed it, and they need him for something, but we don't really know what they need him for. Um, that there's some sort of there's some sort of need for the Joker. Uh, but we don't know what it is. Um, <laughs> but, and, and of course, Batman to say F, the F bomb. Yeah, no, no, uh, no, no, no. At one, like, that's why I'm saying, like, this is why this is this, uh, the, the uncensored version. He's like, I'm going to fucking kill you. It's like, I, I will fucking kill you. Yeah, it's like, Steve, give me your line reading. What would Batman say to the Joker? Come on, give me, give me that F. <laughs> come on, come on, give me your, give me your F. Well, now I can only do it as, like, you know, a funny voice. <laughs> I'm, I'm, give me your Batfleck. Come on. Yeah. 
do I do it as like you know Fred from the B fifty twos? I'm gonna fucking kill you. Like I don't know. Is that any better than uh, an Affleck joke or yeah. Batman? I don't know. Your body will see it about twenty. I just know. It. Right, so the I, I I the only thing about the Joker thing I thought was interesting because it had no reason to be there. There's a there's a, a costuming bit where he's wearing a um a bulletproof vest with multiple different police badges on it. Yes. That's yeah. the only thing yeah. about that that was cool. The rest I didn't care about. I thought that was clever, too. I was like, he's been keeping trophies of every cop he's killed. Um, yeah, he's like, he's like Ilsa from, yeah. or whatever her name is, from uh, Superman 2. She just collects all the badges. You know, that's all she does. And uh, I, I yeah. also understand that it's it's to illustrate that Batman's at a point where he'll work with anyone, like even the, the person that he despises the most. I, I get that, that it's supposed to push how far we've gone into this apocalypse. But also, I still have not gotten a good rationale as to why Batman's wearing a trench coat. <laughs> Like, especially in that hellscape, and you're also wearing a full rubber suit. Yeah, you know, at this point, I just think you just wear like you wear a Halloween mask or whatever. It's fine. You know, you could be you could be Ben Affleck. No one's going to recognize you in this hellscape. It's fine. You know, yeah. Like, well, Deathstroke, Deathstroke clearly ditched his mask. Um, But I like that Mira's got to still wear his. Like, yeah, Mira's like, oh, there's water somewhere. It's like Mira, there is no water anywhere near here. I'm sorry. (laughs) You know, like. All that just didn't make any sense to me. Like it was so masturbatory. Like that's that's yeah. the thing I keep coming back to. Uh, like it was just like this is what the fans want. I'm like, no, this is what you want because you want to like you want to tell the story, which you know, like fine, but you're not going to. Like I don't know. Like I, he I'm not so sure because I, uh, I think from what I understand, I mean, the the Flash we, movie is supposed to basically be Flashpoint. Yeah. Um, and that's supposed to reboot. So I'm almost wondering if this is setting up Flashpoint that we're going to see very, uh, you know, they're, they're talking about how they're going to set things right in that future sequence that I'm wondering if that's if it's supposed to be a setup for like the Flash is going to go back in time. Um, why he can't just do that whenever he wants to is anybody's guess. But um, in fact, that's how they ended the, uh, the DCAU, the most recent uh, set of. Uh, animated films just ended with the world is doomed. So Flash, go back in time and change everything again. <laughs> well, I mean, we've had uh, a couple of Superman movies that end that way, Steve. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, literally at the end of Justice uh, Justice League Dark Apocalypse War, they're like, well, the Earth is pretty much doomed, and John Constantine's like, Flash, go do another Flashpoint, and Flash is like, but I could screw everything up, and John's like, we're gonna die anyway. Um, go ahead. Please, please but, tell me yeah, that as he yeah. does that he smokes a cigarette and just puts it out on his arm. He's like, come on, we're, we're done here. Like I've yeah. gotten, I've gotten lung cancer and I fought the devil. Just run backwards a little bit, please. Like, yeah. I, I've dealt with bigger shit. Thank you. <laughs> like, yeah. But that's basically the way it ends is, is, uh, they, they, that's how they reboot their, uh, the DCAU at that point, they reached the end of that story. And then they said, flash just goes back in time and fixes it. Oh, um, so, I mean, like it, it's, I'm wondering if that's that's the point, but I don't think it is. I think it, I think you're probably more likely right that it's just like uh, Zack Snyder wanting to to have his grim post-apocalyptic. Like I said, uh, Kevin Smith had said that that was supposed to be his original pitch. Uh, was that the the DCA uh, DCEU was going to be a post-apocalyptic wasteland after Justice League after he was done? Um. And uh, so, yeah, I think you're probably right that that was just his vision that he just really, really, really wanted to have 
dark post-apocalyptic Superman is evil um, world. I, I, just feel, at, I just feel like at, I, I, if Zack Snyder could make an Injustice movie, that feels like it'd be more up his alley than anything else we've seen. You know, like we need like the Injustice series, which is I know it was a, a bunch of fighting games that turned into a comic series where it's like, yeah, it's DC, but what if it was fucked up and everybody's angry at each other? That's the movie he wants to make. Let's just be honest. You know, like this coda to this does nothing having having cyborg uh like magic up the tape recorder and listen to his father's words and have the father kind of be the through line at the end i think that's a much better grace note but snyder's like no 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 no. i need you guys to see this and then uh we need to see affleck be visited by a green guy and that's our movie like really that's where we're at with this like i was just annoyed it's like you're never going to get to, to make another one maybe why not kind of just sew it up? Cause you've made three of these already. Can you, can you at least give the fans an ending as opposed to them like hounding again? I don't know. That seems weird to me. Oh, it seems to be the idea that Batman, Batman's having these dreams, cautionary dreams, uh, which seem to be the idea that Maybe that it's it, that it's going to change things that they, that they're going to be successful in the future. I think I don't know. Um, that's the way I kind of look at it. Is that if it, the fact that Batman is is seeing this probably means that he's that they're going to be somewhat successful in preventing that future. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, that's how they're preventing it. Is they're sending they're sending Batman warnings. Um, although apparently so is also the Kryptonian ship, the cyborg, um, <laughs> if it's a Kryptonian ship, not cyborg himself, um, which also, by the way, Steven, you had mentioned earlier, like the anti-life equation, uh, is mentioned in the film that like, no one's going to know what that is. Uh, and it, it's crucial to the cyborgs flash forward with Superman. Like, uh, uh, why Superman turns evil is the anti-life equation. Um, and, uh, it's, so it's funny to me that they're like anti life equation and nobody knows what that is. And there's no establishment whatsoever in the movie. Uh, but it's, it, it's shown it's in anything, the future as infecting Superman. If it's anything above algebra two, I just assume it's evil. Cause I can't understand anything past that. It's fine. <laughs> you know, I just feel like I did some geometry, but if it's a like, no, if this is the foil method, we're all doomed. I, I would agree with that. It's fine. But yeah, but yeah, sorry. it's the anti life equation is how dark side takes over. <laughs> Uh, the, the takes over people's minds. I mean, the idea of Darkseid wins, he gets the anti-life equation. That's how he would you, you get Superman to turn evil. Um, at least I assume. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's not quite clear. He just puts a hand on Superman's shoulder, so and, sh- and Superman's like, hey, "Fuck it, I guess I'm evil now." Like, I guess I'm know. evil now. Yeah, I'm I did, I did my cry face again right before, uh, right after I killed Zod. I did a cry face. So Superman cry face means shit's about to get real. That's what's going to happen. But anyway, I'm sorry, I'm stepping in here. Um, no. So Steve, uh, anti life equation. Explain this, and, and can you put it on a blackboard and, and draw it out for us? Because that would be like, <laughs> like what, what? Can you solve for X, please, with the anti life equation? So it's uh, like you you just want to know like basically what it is. It's 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 like a it gives you the power to basically dominate any sort of uh, race, and it's got like reality altering powers that kind of twist and distort freedom over oh. life and death. So what you're saying is, if it was some kind of gauntlet that had multiple <laughs> stones in it, 
that I mean, the owner... I've, I've heard people say, like, I never quite understood what Thanos' plan was. To me, that at least makes sense. I, <laughs> I I think that, like, you know, his whole idea of annihilating half of the, the population across the universe in order to, to um, restore the planets uh, that are uh, hurting and, and people who are going hungry and all the, the problems, like, I, that at least makes sense to me. The way the anti-life equations used here doesn't really make sense. But I me. like that Thanos' whole thing is divide by two. That makes more sense to me mathematically. It, it is easier math. We'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah, times uh, by fifty percent, and then we're good. But I mean, well, I think uh, things. Oh, go ahead. Well, no, I, I was going to say uh, also, uh, uh, Sam, my my co-host, that was Baller pointed out online last night um, that uh, Steppenwolf reacts to the the fact that the anti-life equation is on Earth as if it was some big revelation, <laughs> uh, and Sam says. They didn't remember that it was on the only Earth they've ever lost. Yeah, the only planet that they got their ass kicked. The only planet yeah. that they lost because they fought Sauron and won. Like they don't think that they wouldn't be like like yeah. keeping that in the back of their so, head. Yeah. So Stepper Wolf's like, it's this world. I was like, well, of course it's that world, you jag. <laughs> <laughs> what other world would it be? It's the world that it's the world that you lost. It's the one, the one loss. Dark side found the day. Like, oh, equation. that one. Oh, I forgot about that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, so I mean, I guess, I, I guess, also, I I took it as, uh, you know, not so much that that is the thing that gives Dark Side hold over Superman. I guess it is, but also the fact that Lois is dead. I yeah. took that to mean more of like uh, him snapping. I guess. Um, but it's never completely made clear, and I don't know if you guys, because it hasn't been mentioned this uh, entire episode, so I don't know if I'm the only one who picked up on it or you just haven't made note of it. But um, did anybody happen to notice that that we're essentially supposed to get the idea that that uh, uh, Lois Lane is pregnant? Well, I saw, I, no, no, I saw yes. the 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 uh, pregnancy test. I saw that. Yes. Yeah. And then according to Snyder's like like his arc, right? Um, her child was supposed to become the next Batman. Right, like what? Oh, I don't know. Like just weird. Like it's I, I, not. It's it's not Superman's anyway. It's Martian Manhunters. He's he's oddly oddly uh, oddly fixated on Lois. But I guess technically, <laughs> I think Stephen is right. Um, they, they made a couple mentions in the in the film also about how important Lois Lane is. She's not important to this narrative whatsoever. But she's important, supposed to be important. Like uh, Batman and and Wonder Woman even say, like Batman said, like uh, Flash came back in time and told me Lois is the key. Um, you know the idea that if Lois dies, Superman becomes evil. Um, and yeah, I think that probably is supposed to be because she's pregnant. Uh, and it also seems to Martian Manhunter seem appearing when he does in the epilogue seems to suggest that Martian Manhunter is also privy to somehow what's going to happen in the future. I just feel like Superman is a hobby, you know, like if he could just do something else, like a ship in a bottle or something, maybe his focus wouldn't be so like directed and he'd have other things to live for. Not that I'm saying a ship in a bottle, is the same thing as like, you know, being the father of an unborn child, but come on, you got to diversify a little bit, right? Come on, just a little bit. Um, yeah. Uh, it, it seems a bit much that, um, I know it I, seems a bit much that Superman would turn evil just because his wife died. But, um, well, that's what happens in the injustice stuff. I think Joker kills uh, Lois Lane and that and he just like this goes off the deep end and that becomes this whole thing. So, you know, I don't know, but anyway, so 
to wrap this up because it's two hours. So we're a little past the runtime of the original goddamn movie, but we're nowhere <laughs> near the end of this movie. Um, so we've talked about negatives, a lot of negatives. I also want to point out, I, I, I know I called the, uh, the Mescria Amazon prime. I want to point out that Atlantis, I, I called it Joe crab, Joe's crab shack when they stole the box from there. I think that's appropriate. Also humans bury their mother box only three feet deep. How is that found throughout history? Every time the mother box is buried, it's like three feet deep. Like, can anybody find this thing? I feel this feels weird to me that the humans don't understand the value of the mother box. And they're like, Oh, I'm tired. Just put some dirt on it. It's fine. That's what happens every goddamn time. Uh, feels weird to me. Um, with all that said, um, is this an enjoyable movie overall? Nathaniel, please. Is this an enjoyable film? Uh, I think the second half is okay. Um, I think that, um, like I said, it, it spends roughly two hours spinning its wheels, and and uh, you could probably cut almost all of it and not affect the narrative whatsoever. Um, but like I said, I think it, towards the end something clicks into place. I think that makes the movie a little bit more, uh, or a little bit less grim. It feels a little bit more. Uh, it's not. It's not the same as like you know the theatrical version, which involves Superman like being Superman. Uh, whereas you point out in this one, he's, he's just a sledgehammer um, to the point where one would wonder if Superman was even necessary to bring back at all in this particular narrative. They seem to be doing okay without him. Yeah, I feel, um, I feel like Aquaman and Wonder Woman actually did their, they held their own against uh, Steppenwolf. Like, like, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, continue, please. But, but yes, I think that, uh, but so overall, uh, I, I think I, I ended up coming down around giving this movie three stars where I was like, it's, it's deeply, deeply flawed. Um, there's a lot of stuff in here that uh, is, you know, seems to be even setting up a sequel that's never going to happen, or we we don't know uh, if the Snyder Cut stay, uh, cult get their uh, get their way. There will be. Um, they're already trying. You know, they've got uh, they got hashtags from here to eternity uh, to uh, to try to as their words bully. Warner Brothers into giving them what they want. Uh, they're already working on a boycott for Kong versus Godzilla um, <laughs> because they want to uh, because they want a, uh, a David Ayer cut of Suicide Squad. As long as Martian Manhunter shows up in Kong versus Godzilla, that's what I need now. I need Martian. Yeah, Mar- what we need, I'm just going to is yeah. Now uh, anytime I see uh, uh, like Mothra's going to uh, show up Lane, and be I'm like, oh, Mothra, that's Martha. Oh, that's Martian Manhunter. That's what's going I hope I hope I hope I hope that Kong and Godzilla overcome their differences when they realize both their moms are named Martha. <laughs> <laughs> and um and then Martha turns out to be Martian Martian, um, <laughs> Martian, but, uh, Martian but yes. Hunter. That's what we're gonna call him in that movie. All right. So yes, u- ultimately uh, ultimately I think uh, towards the end I ended up enjoying myself more than I thought I would. Fair and enough. and um and so th- so yeah, I uh do I did this thing need to be four hours? Absolutely not. Um, and uh, uh, it, it, like I said, also like I think there's less slow motion in the second half, and I was like, you know, reached the limit on that. Um, but yeah, ultimately, I, I ended up enjoying myself more than I thought I would, and I think it's actually probably a pretty good, you know, pretty good movie uh, that is way too long and way too self indulgent for its own good. Okay. All right, Steve. Thoughts. Go. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll echo pretty much 
everything that Nathaniel just said. I, I wish I had a more original thought on it, but I'll, I'll leave you with this. This is uh, something that Mark Bernardin said on Fat Man Beyond when they were discussing the film. And I, it's something that I think really rings true for me. And again, I've mentioned previously that, you know, I'm, I'm constantly fighting the, you know, is it the, the old man in me? And I can't, you know, I can't bring myself around to the way things are now. And I want it to be like, uh, you know, it was... Uh, you know, say in 78 when, you know, Superman was being done by Richard Donner, but like Mark Bernardin had brought up the fact that like, if you make a, a movie with Superman in it, it's R rated. You're just doing something fundamentally wrong. And I, I think that that's, that's the best way that I can put my feelings about this is, is that like, it's not for me. It's clearly for a lot of other people that uh, are enjoying it. And I don't want to take away from people's enjoyment. You know, I, 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 you know, we, we live in a society a lot of times where, oh, God, I just used the line, we live in a society. Uh-huh. Uh, but I wasn't going to say anything, but yeah. People are eager to, to, you know, take away someone's joy for something that they enjoy. Uh, you know, like um, uh, your co-host Sam had posted something along the lines of like, you know, your guilty pleasures, own them, love them. You know, don't yeah. Nothing should be a guilty pleasure. And, uh, you know, uh, for me, uh, I, I kind of look back at, like, who I was when I was younger, and I can kind of see that I did that in some instances. So I don't want to take away from anyone's enjoyment of this. It's just not for me. But I, I, I just, at the end of the day, I do feel like if you can't take a 10-year-old to a Superman movie, you're doing something wrong. Um, and that's kind of how I feel about the movie as a whole. I, other people are enjoying it. That's great. It's not what I want to see on the screen. And I'll leave it there. Okay, that's fair. So my, my point is, like, what I get frustrated with is that, um, and, and and Nathaniel, you and and um, you know, and Sam on your show, your whole goal is to never tear down, but always like build up. And then we uh, shut all of our maximum overdrive. But whatever, it was like you know, it was a fun movie, but it had flaws. Um, yeah. <laughs> You know, no, like, well, I mean, we, 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 we try to, we try to maintain positivity, uh, but you know, we, we don't always, aren't always successful. I need a standard uh, cut of maximum overdrive where it's four hours long, where we learned the origins of the trucks. I need to know the motivation for the Joker truck. I'm kidding. But the, you guys always search for the positivity and Steve and I try to do that as well. Sometimes, you know, it just, you know, it just kind of pokes through and it's like, you know, whatever. Like, so with this, yes. I can see the vision here. I can see it's more solidified. Um, it is overlong and bloated. The thing, yeah. like the thing that bugs me the most isn't the movie. And it's just because this is my own personal cross to bear. It's the fandom of like, Oh, this is the thing that fixes the thing. It's like, Nope, you're purposely tearing down what came before, which wasn't like perfect, but because what you're given isn't perfect either because you've spent four years pissing and moaning about how it could be different. You're going to shut the fuck up and accept this and say it's perfect when it's not. That's what mm. frustrates me. It's like, if, if you, if it would come out and been like, like, I think, I think I was telling Steve this last week when we were like, when we we're off air, um, the AV club said, Hey, it's uh like, it's a justice league. It's longer. <laughs> like yeah. basically like they were like, yeah, you know, it's definitely Zack Snyder's definitive vision for what it's worth. And I think that's kind of where I land. It's like, yeah, this is perfectly okay. And it's okay. There's some cool moments in it. I don't think it earns the four hour runtime because they didn't put in the prep work, right? Like I know, I know I'm a Marvel honk. I'm wearing a captain Marvel shirt right now, whatever. But like, 
they went how many years laying the foundation to get to Infinity War? So by the time you get there where characters might have one or two moments on screen, you already know them. You're invested. And then when either they get snapped away or not, you're in. Like, yeah. this this was like trying to short circuit that and be like, we're bringing one of the, the biggest bads in the DCEU, sorry, DC Universe in here, and there's no emotional resonance. That's a problem for me. Like, Justice League... I, DC fans deserve that. They deserve an Infinity Ward in-game combo. Whenever you hear one of the characters say on your left, you need that moment. Like they deserve yeah. that and they've not gotten it. So they're going to rally around this. And by they, I mean, not all. And that's yes. frustrating to me. They deserve better. Like, this is fine. It's perfectly okay. And that's how I felt about like, I've given both of them three stars um, like in terms of my letterbox reviews, like I, you know, there's things I liked about both and it's fine. Yeah. Um, it just, if you're going to set up this conflict, give me more. And I feel like cyborg should got his own movie. Like Steve said, uh, I feel like all of them, like, like, like when Wonder Woman got shoehorned in into uh, Batman vs Superman, like, like she was my favorite part of that movie and her standalone movie was great too. She got the Captain America treatment, which I could see why Nathaniel, you probably resonate with her. Like you mm. get her from like the world war one, like no man's land, all that. Yeah. Um, give me the foundation. They didn't do the foundation. They went and built this on a, a foundation of sand. And then they were upset when it, whenever the whole thing fell apart and that, yeah. that's I'm, I'm drunk and I'm, I'm wandering but that's how I feel about it. I apologize to everybody. I said this was the uncensored version. I've sworn more than anybody else. Steve, you had your free pass to make F-bombs and you didn't. That's on you. Oh, well, don't <laughs> worry. I'll sneak them into the uh, ever show after now. Freddy versus Jason, every other word is just going to be the F word. Okay, fair uh, enough. Uh, fair, fair enough. So, all right. I know I, I've talked a lot here. So here, here's the joke I have workshopped amongst other people. Um, and, and, and you guys may like this. You may not. I think it's great. Okay. It takes, it takes longer for Zack Snyder to come than sting because that's how I feel <laughs> about this movie. <laughs> Thank you. I, I can't, it. I got nowhere to go with that. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I like it. All right. I, I, it's a, it's a good joke. <laughs> I, I have I have said that to like four or five people. I'm like I'm workshopping this. I think this is pretty great. <laughs> it's a good one. It's a good one. All right, let's get, let's get the fuck out of here. So all right, so um, so all right, uh, uh, Nathaniel, uh, you do things. Uh, tell people about those things that you do, please. Sure, uh, I do. Uh, I do two podcasts um, to date. Uh, there's probably going to be some more stuff that I'm working on. Um, but uh, I do a podcast with my uh, good friend Samuel Luminet. It's how I met uh, Paul and Stephen. Um, uh, it's called At the Devil's Ball. We're on Facebook and Twitter uh, at Devils underscore AT. Uh, and uh, also I do a podcast called Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie uh, with uh, Sarah Sin. And she's sort of the star and I'm kind of like the sidekick. And um, both of those are our horror, horror film podcasts. Wonderful. And Steve, actually, you know what? Let me let, let's talk about the thing that we do before I talk about the thing that you do. Like I got to shine a light on me for a second. 
Yeah, I'm the Martian Manhunter here. So you guys can find us on Facebook at Invasion the Podcast. You can email us directly at invasionthepodcast at gmail.com. Steve put up a wonderful uh, meme today of like only five people listen to your podcast and only four of them co-host. I thought that was quite funny. Um, but anyway, you guys can contact us there. Wherever you find your podcast, uh, rate and review us would be greatly appreciated. And Steve, how can people find you and your uh, epically long comics that you write? <laughs> you can find me uh, on Facebook and Instagram under the Saturday Night Slasher. You can visit the website, SaturdayNightSlasher.com. And if you want to buy uh, physical copies of the comic from our Etsy shop, uh, it's uh, our, the name of our shop is The Art of the Slash, and it's on Etsy, which I already said. Perfect. So, all right, let's go do it for us this week. Next week, because uh, Steve and I are glutton for uh, like things in terms of horror and other stuff, uh, with Godzilla versus Kong coming out, we're we're not as well versed to talk about that film. However, Steve pitched an amazing idea for us to talk about a different versus film. We're going to get into Freddy versus Jason, which I saw in the theater and have not seen since. I don't know if it's oh. aged well. Um, it's know. a blast. You'll, you'll guys will, I think you guys will like it. Okay. I mean, maybe yeah. Steve's Steve's a big... Uh, two of the biggest influences in his life are uh, Freddie and Jason. I don't know if he feels like he was like conflicted, but we're going to watch it. We're going to talk about it next week. It's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, that's going to do it for us this week. I uh, hope you guys have a good week. Have a, hope you have a safe week. Hope if you watch the four-hour cut of the, like the Snyder cut of Justice League that you, um, I don't know, get a hug after. I got nothing. Um, but yeah. That, that's that's where we're at. So uh, in the meantime, I I don't know. Uh, save hot dogs, not Irish West. That's terrible. I shouldn't have said that, but that that's how I feel. All save all hot dogs. That's what I'm gonna say. Jane